you suffer from boring gameplay? Do you stare at your shelf full of games and can't decide what to play? When you finally choose something, do you find yourself disengaged, disinterested, or ignoring what's right in front of you? You may suffer from a rare condition. Xanek can help. Xanek is a shmup that will inject excitement directly into your gaming. It increases visual and auditory feedback and can assist with motor skills as well as hand-eye coordination. If your gaming life is no longer fulfilling, Xanek can help balance that by providing new stimuli directly to your gaming receptors. Don't suffer in silence, waiting for gaming to become fun again. Ask your doctor if Xanek is right for you. Xanek can cause heart palpitations, sweaty palms, increased anxiety, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and in some rare cases, a total disregard for other shooting games. Check with your doctor before taking Xanek. Use only as directed. If your gaming life has become stale, Xanek could be the cure. Talk to your doctor about Xanek today. Shoot the core, Cass. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that doesn't require a prescription to consume. Use only as directed. <laughs> From RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, known throughout other parts of the interwebs as the Game Boy Guru. And as always, I have... Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups. That's right. And we are honored to have two special guests with us today. Uh, collector Cast Illuminaries, <laughs> Supreme, Duke Togo, and Crabmaster2000. Uh, you flatter us way too much, I think. Well, Very much. <laughs> either way, gentlemen, welcome. We're glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for the invite. Thanks for coming uh, you on. Know. The Crabby podcast weren't long enough, so we had to get some people to fill it out. <laughs> <laughs> you got the right people if you want to fill out your podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, so, as always, rfgeneration.com is the place you want to be. Uh, we have a great website with awesome forums, lots of good discussions going on there, a huge database where you can catalog your game collection, set up wish lists, do sale and trade lists. Uh, we've got sale and trade threads on the forums. We've got an active Discord that Addicted and I both participate in, and we have a Shoot the Corecast topic on the Discord, so that you can come and talk to us specifically about the podcast or about shmups and, and what we're playing during the month. Uh, so um, make sure you come check it out. Uh, we also, have, of course, have the regular playthrough and the. Um, we have the uh, database that you can register all your games, and we've got s several different titles within there. You can find Japanese, you can find obscure French language Smurfs games for the Master <laughs> System, whatever you're looking for. If you need to catalog your collections there, and this year we're doing something extra special for the Nintendo Entertainment System. We're trying to beat all of the North American release Nintendo games. 
Just the licensed ones too, not the unlicensed this this year. Yeah, I don't want, I think anyone could survive action fifty two. <laughs> <laughs> it takes two to make things go right. Yeah, no 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 cheetah men. That's that's the only halfway playable game on that on that time. <laughs> uh, so you're heading that up, Crabmaster, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I was just talking with Single Banana before the year started, uh, another prominent uh, guy who runs the Playcast there, and we decided to run with it. Um, I've been doing something similar on the Nintendo Age forum for a few years, so I thought it'd be fun to try it with the RF Gen community. So we've got uh, every single NES game that is licensed up to play. Um, we're a little over 200, we're at like 229, I think, as of this recording. Uh, so we've made a huge dent into it in, in two months. Um, and, and we're kind of theming every month to, to get, encourage people to play different kinds of stuff. So last month we did a sports theme month. Um, we try, tried to get everyone to play at least one sports game. Uh, this month we're doing licensed properties. So characters and games based on like books and movies and TV shows and anime and stuff like that. Um, and, and we'll keep updating it every month uh, but it's just been a blast to see how many people have played how many people have beat something new and discover games they'd never played before and just getting a lot of really awesome discussion it's been a super active thread uh, i love checking in on it every day it's been really great yeah and i've noticed that um that there have been some relatively new members that have popped in and have been working on some nes games and so that's always real encouraging to see Totally. That that was the hope that we that we'd get some people who maybe are lurking or, or new to the site, um, get them kind of active and participating in in the forums a bit more. And, and so far, so good. Yeah. Uh, although I must uh, admit in shame that I have not beat a single game yet. Um, and the one game that I claimed has kicked my butt, so I'm. Um, GI Joe's a tough one. Yeah. Well, the, the first GI Joe game isn't too bad. Uh, that one I've actually beat before, but the Atlantis Factor is quite difficult. Um, well, if you just want your name on the list, there's still at least one Fisher Price game. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. For the month of licensed properties, I'll have to look through the list and see if there's uh, something that is. Uh, Hint, Fisher Price is a licensed property. Uh, yeah, I know, but I'll have to see if uh, if there's something else that uh, that I can get. I don't actually own any of the Fisher Price games, uh, and so I'll have to look through the list and then compare it to the uh, NES games I have here to my right and uh, see if I can come up with something that will be uh, a bit less painful. <laughs> Please do. If you want suggestions for easier, quick uh, games too, let me know, and I'm happy to help out. Okay. There's a good reason I took Color of Dinosaur really early. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Although it takes a surprisingly long time to color all those dinosaurs. It's, yeah. When you hit a background, it takes like 10 seconds to wave back and forth to fill the whole thing in. Yeah. It's not as quick as you'd think. It's not. Wow. How about Where's Waldo? I think those are both done oh. now. The Great Waldo Search and Where's Waldo. I think someone's knocked those ones off He's already. He's been found. Oh. Well, I'll have to pick something else. He's been found. Totally. Yeah, but yeah, like I said, if you guys want suggestions for, for games, because I've beaten many of these in the past before, I'm, I'm really happy to, to help out and, and give some suggestions. Well, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll fire up the Ren and Stimpy game and see uh, <laughs> how terrible it is. Yeah. Buckaroos, I, I enjoy it. I have a soft spot for Ren and Stimpy from when I was a kid, though, so it's, it's probably mostly nostalgia speaking. You idiot! 
<laughs> that was good. Uh, all right. So, uh, before we go any further, I have to give a huge shout out to a fan of the podcast, um, Mr. Herb Wars. Uh, he has been coming out to my live streams that I've been doing and watching me play Xanak. And he messaged me on Twitter and told me how much he was enjoying the podcast and was very encouraging. He recently wrote a five-star review of the podcast as well, which uh, just tickled me. Um, he says, I really enjoy this show. I always loved shooters, shoot 'em ups or shmups. My problem is I'm not the best at them. I love listening to their strategies that they have for each game of the month. They have great personalities with great gaming skills. And so while the uh, last claim in that uh, in that review might be slightly dubious because I, I don't know how much gaming skill I can uh, claim to have, uh, we're very appreciative of uh, the five-star review and uh, just really... Really like that. And also, <clears throat> when he when he, we were messaging back and forth on Twitter, uh, he Herb Wars told me that there was something that he had that he wanted to send me. And so I was like, okay, you know, because I was working with him on uh, um, a deal where I was uh, going to sell him one of my Genesis games. And so anyway, he, he told me, he told me he was going to send me something and he messaged me every couple of days to see if I got it yet or not. And, and, uh, you know, I've been checking my mailbox and that. And so a couple of weeks ago, I come home from work and I open my mailbox and I've got one letter in there. And, um, I took it in and I thought, Oh, okay. That I knew who it was. Uh, cause when I looked at the, at the address, you know, the, the return address, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, this is from Herbors. So <clears throat> I opened it up, and it is a letter from Activision that says, Dear Activision Spider Fighter, <laughs> oh, wow. Congratulations, you're better than Pesticide. You scored 40,000 or more points on the regular game level of Spider Fighter. It looks as if the bugs around your house will never get a moment's peace. Uh, we know it wasn't easy to hit 40,000 in this game. Those stingers and green widows have zapped even the best video gamers. It took plenty of cool and stamina to protect your fruit harvest against those lousy bugs. So now that you've made it safe again to walk the orchards, please accept your enclosed official emblem of the Activision Spider Fighters. You've earned it. And of course the letter goes on and uh, it was it was uh, signed by uh, Jan Marcella, Manager Consumer Relations. <laughs> and of course this is just a replica of the original Activision letter that was sent out during the early 80s and the time when you could send off, you know, Polaroids or what have you of your score in an Activision game in order to receive a patch. And of course, included is the Activision Spider Fighters patch. Uh, and so <clears throat> I'm going to have to get a frame and, and uh, put this up with the letter and the patch on my wall. And I think I'm going to try and get a frame that's big enough that I can put these together and put it on the wall up behind my couch so that when I'm streaming, you can see the spider fighter patch. There. <laughs> uh, but this is such a cool, uh, such a cool token, such a cool uh, gift. 
So again, Herb Wars, thank you so much for just your your sign of appreciation for the podcast because it, it really is gratifying to know that someone out there is listening and appreciates what we're doing here. I agree. We definitely appreciate the five-star review. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Yes, very much so. So now let's move on to the game that we played during February 2019, and that is Xanak. That was available on the NES, the Famicom Disk System, and the MSX, and we also kind of took a little bit of a look at Xanak Neo, which came out on the Xanak Cross Xanak release in, uh, was it 98, I think? I think you're right. On the PlayStation? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick, did you want to go ahead and shout out our participants for the month? Sure, they were Metalfro, Addicted, Crabmaster2000, Duke Togo, Pam, and I'm, and I'm going to butcher this one, I apologize, so it's Severs2, Easy Racer, and Red McKnight. Yes, indeed. Uh, and so, just to kind of set us up a little bit uh, about Xanak and its developer, Compile... Uh, Compile Company Limited, also known as Kabushiki Gaisha Kompairu, was founded in... Wow, you nailed that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in April 1982, uh, early works uh, that they developed were done under the name Programmers 3 Incorporated, uh, including a few titles that they developed for Sega, and also their first shoot-em-up, known as EI Exa Innova, for the MSX Computer Line. Uh, starting in 1985, Compile began using their own name for development, and then uh, their games were published by a number of different companies, uh, some of which were actually self-published. Xanak uh, was released in July of 86 for the MSX Computer and the Famicom Disk System, uh, and then a few months later they made Xanak EX on the MSX2, where they improved the graphics and the sound for that updated hardware. Uh, then in October of 87, we got Xanak here on the NES in North America. Uh, Compile also developed Gunhead for Hudson Soft, better known here in the West as Blazing Lasers on the TurboGrafx-16, and it has uh, many of the traits and kind of quirks and and uh, design cues that Compile is known for with their shoot-em-ups. The most famous uh, shoot-em-ups that Compile released are those in the Aleste series. That started in 1988 on the MSX computer platform, and then there were mul multiple iterations of Aleste games across many different systems. Uh, there were two Aleste games on the MSX, two for the Master System under the Power Strike name in the West, uh, two for the Game Gear, uh, which were the GG Aleste games, and I think the Western releases, and um, down in Brazil, uh, they got the Power Strike branding. Uh, also, um, Musha, or Musha Aleste, on, of course, the Mega Drive and the Genesis, which is probably their most famous, followed by Robo Aleste for the Sega CD, and Super Aleste, or Space Megaforce, for the Super Nintendo. Um, interestingly enough, they also handled some ports for other publishers. Uh, so they did the version of R-Type that showed up on the Master System for Sega, 
Uh, they also did a version of Xevious for both the MSX and the TurboGrafx-16. They also ported Thexter for the MSX, and uh, they did the port of Legacy of the Wizard on the NES as well. Which is an awesome game. Love that. Mm-hmm. Their most famous creation, however, is Puyo Puyo. Most of you who are listening probably have heard of that in one form or another. Uh, it's been repackaged here in the U.S., at least during uh, the 16-bit era, as both Kirby's Avalanche on the Super NES and Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine on the Sega Genesis. Unfortunately, Compile folded in 2003. Some of the staff who uh, would, had worked on a lot of the shooting games uh, went to work for aiding and rising in uh, the mid-90s and uh, late-90s and worked on um, notable games such as Mahou Daisakusen and Balgorega. And then some of the other shooting game staff reorganized in 2003 under the name Milestone, and they released uh, several games on the Naomi hardware, uh, such as Chaos Field, Radergy, uh, otherwise known as Radio Allergy, Kalros, and Il Velo. Uh, and of course, we've seen some of those over here on the GameCube and the Wii. Uh, as we mentioned previously, Compile's last shooter was a return to the Zanak name in Zanak Cross Zanak. It had all three of the early 8-bit versions of the game, as well as Zanak Neo, a sort of reimagining of the original game. And I guess b- before we move too far into this, uh, we should probably see if there's a consensus here as to whether the pronunciation is Zanak or Zanak. I've always said Zanak. I don't know where you would get Zanak from, but okay. Yeah, I've always been a Zanak guy too. Yeah, I'd have to say Zanak. Zanak sounds like there's a problem in the Zanak. I don't know, it just sounds like a bad... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Like well, you could go with your doctor's prescription for some more Zanek. <laughs> sounds more yeah. like a, a prescription drug for Zanek, I should say, than versus Zanek, which sounds like a shooter. Right. Okay. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that we cleared that up because I've never heard it pronounced anything but Zanek. Uh, but you know how these things go when you've got made up names and uh, uh, you know these kind these things just kind of get pronounced in different ways. Gradius, 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 etc. Yeah, that's always weird to me how sometimes some things that you think, like, that's pretty straightforward in how you pronounce it, and then people will just argue to death with you about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sort of like, um, I recently found out I've been pronouncing this name all these years wrong. Uh, you know, I've been saying Darius. Or Darius, Darius, right? It's Darius. Darius, yeah. Uh, and I've I, I found that out because there was a uh, there was actually a YouTube ad for the new Darius Cosmic Collection on the Switch, and there it was in the ad, Darius. So weird. I've I've, I've said, said that it, one wrong. For I've years said too, it the though. other way too. I don't, you know. We you know we were talking about Compile though, and there's another company, Compile Heart. That's that's around now. They don't make games anything like this anymore. I wonder if it's like at all attached because their logo in the compile heart thing looks pretty similar. So I wonder if there's maybe like a few of those people have, have filed into that, or maybe that's just the the holding company for Puyo Puyo or stuff now. I don't know, but 
I always thought that's interesting. I ran across seeing that. Yeah, actually, uh, I was reading about that, and I do believe, I'm not sure exactly what the association is, but Compile Heart uh, is somehow affiliated with either some of the developers or, yeah, some kind of some kind of affiliation with Compile of old. Interesting. It was a man, it used to be managed by the former executive um, director of Compile on there and sense. created the Poyo Poyo series. While we're talking about pronunciations then, right? We sound like we're all saying compile, but I've heard some people say compile, right? Like the verb? Right. Yeah. Like uh, like if you're compiling code. Right. I've heard, code. I've heard people say it that way, and I'm always thinking like, no, no. It's like compile, right? Right. Yeah, and I guess that's a good question, you know? It's, I guess, saying it, saying it uh, compile... Uh, it just means I'm enunciating it differently, I guess, or, or you know. A lot of a lot of those old companies would shorten computer and put it in there, so I always assumed it was com was short for computer and pile was something else. That could be, because a lot of those, uh, a lot of companies like Capcom, for example, as we, yeah. as we mentioned in our 1942 episode, that was, uh, uh, as I like to say, a portmanteau of uh, terms for capsule computer. Yeah, I just assumed it was something really similar to that. Well, looking up at what you've got that in the beginning, we were talking about how they're also known as in Japan. And, you know, the, the last part of that is just the, uh, you know, their kanji way of saying compile, a kompiru, you know, it's right. the same thing. So I wonder if they just like the word from English, maybe. Yeah. They do that sometimes. Well, yes, they That's do. A- that hard, the hard off chain. Stuff like that. Yep, that's yeah. Right up. Random English words just catch on, I guess. It sounds probably like the same reason why we have pop stars that tattoo like barbecue or something on themselves. <laughs> Chinese. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, uh, coming, okay. coming up for a pit bull, we have barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, just a quick point of reference on here. Uh, from what I gather on here, Xanic X Xanic was Compile's last game in 2001. Okay, now here we go again, right? Now you just said Xanic X Xanic, but I would say Xanic cross Xanic. And that's that weird Japanese thing where they do that a lot, right? Right, because in, in America, for example, for the PlayStation controller, we would say the X button. They say the cross button. Right. Yeah, it's probably cross. They, they, you know, the X in Japanese is uh, no, you know, the no box from Microsoft. And but I don't think that I'm saying Xanic, no Xanic, <laughs> or so. Right there, you actually see the no or apostrophe. So you're, I would concede to you that you're probably pronouncing correctly. Yeah, not being a native Japanese speaker or a person that knows any Japanese other than what I, I hear. That's just what I figured it was, but I, I wouldn't know for sure. Yeah, and it makes sense anyway because you're talking about uh, you're talking about Xanak of old and Xanak of new or neo, uh, kind of being merged together in a single package, and so I think contextually that makes the most sense. And I will say, I was really a surprised and very happy. B 
when they brought Xanak Cross Xanak onto the PSN, because that's a game I never thought would they would ever bother with here, because it was a really late release, Japan only. I'm like, why would they ever even bother? We'll never get a copy of it. And then they did. Yeah. And and there's a couple like that, uh, that, you know, uh, obscure games or games that I never thought I would see. Uh, another one that I bought off PSN on my PlayStation 3 was Gaia Seed. And that's another one of those that it was an obscure Japan-only shoot-em-up. And... For whatever reason, it got released to PSN, and it's still available to buy, so uh, I took advantage. If you've got a PS3 or a PSP or a Vita, but not your PS4, sorry. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I'm hoping that they find a way to rectify that with a PS5, because of course there are rumors flying all over the internet right now that that uh, supposedly the PS5 could potentially have backwards compatibility with all their previous systems. Well, you know it could. It's just whether they want to or not. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess we'll wait and see on that. Uh, but back to Xanak. Uh, so, I did some I did some looking on um, the Xanak strategy wiki and there's a little bit of a story snippet here I'll just quickly read it says millennia ago an unknown alien race created a tiny device known as the system containing boundless wisdom and knowledge but also vast destructive potential if properly opened it would grant access to untold wisdom and technology but if improperly accessed it would unleash almost unlimited destruction Mankind attempted to access the system and failed, and the system began to spread out from the tiny icon that contained it. Spreading throughout known space and conquering and destroying all in sight, it posed a mortal danger to all life. Mankind discovered how to properly access the knowledge and technology within the system, but could not shut its destructive expansion down because of its vast tactical systems. The system threatens to engulf the entire galaxy and destroy all life. However, the defenses of the system are designed around destroying and overcoming entire fleets. In theory, a lone starfighter may be low enough priority to the defenses of the system to allow it to fight its way into the heart of the system and destroy it. AFX-6502 Xanak, the most advanced starfighter ever produced, is launched on a desperate mission to fight its way to the heart of the system and shut it down forever. And uh, just like with the last episode with the story behind uh, Lightning Force, there are some definite shades of uh, Star Wars going on here. You know, a lone starfighter, mm-hmm. low enough priority. What are stunt fighters? What good are stunt fighters against that thing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> bullseye womp rats. That's right. In my T sixteen back home. <laughs> I know. As soon as you see that line, you're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is plagiarism of the of the worst kind, but uh, uh, you know, it's all right because generally speaking, the stories of these games aren't that important um you know they're fun to read and they're they're fun to think about in this context but unless they're wildly esoteric or um really unique uh you know most of the time they're just they're just set dressing it's just uh 
It's just a arbitrary reason to go out and blast stuff. I can't think of like any of the enemies or bosses or anything even making me think of how that would relate to the story at all. Yeah. Oh, as soon as he read it, I kind like I've never heard this story before, and it I thought the bosses all made sense finally. Like it was some kind of technology spreading over the world, so you're taking off because they're all very. They almost look like a computer chip when you get there. They're all like kind of placed on the, on the on the grid like they're soldered in there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting with all the all the different kind of bases or encampments, you know, that you that you fight. That <clears throat> that that's one of the things that that I think sets Zanek apart a little bit. And I guess we can get into that as we move forward. One thing I found interesting, and I wasn't sure if this was coincidental or if it's on purpose, but the name of the ship, the AFX-6502, is that a reference to the MOS Technology 6502 CPU, a.k.a. the processor in the Famicom and the NES? Uh, I'd almost guarantee it, yeah. I mean, these guys were writing 6502 assembly every day. Yeah, so that I thought that was interesting that they kind of referenced that a little bit, and uh, you know, a nice little nod to the technology. Uh, so I guess let's talk about the weapons um, first of all, because that's one of the big things about the game um, is, and and really compile games in general, or compile games, if you will, uh, is their weapon systems are usually complex and have a lot of stuff going on with them. <clears throat> Somebody's doggy's really happy. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately my uh, <laughs> my chihuahuas don't, uh, don't know that it's podcasting time. They're <laughs> <Get> really excited. <laughs> uh, yes, they are. Uh, and so, one of the nice things about the game is that, uh, unlike a lot of shooters from the era, both your primary weapon and your sub-weapon have auto-fire. Um, so, you can use a turbo controller to play the game, and I did for most of the month, uh, to kind of, you know, and hopefully continue to make the auto-fire even more auto, so to speak. Uh, but it is nice that even just playing with a standard NES pad, you can kind of hold your finger down on the button when you want to fire, and you don't have to sit there and tap your thumb until you uh, until you get carpal tunnel. Um, I find until you have your your primary weapon very maxed out, um, the auto fire is not fast enough. I can I can tap faster with a standard controller. So how I typically play it is I, I hold down my A button because my secondary auto fire is just fine and, and then i actually mash the the b button as, as fast as i can because i can and get more out of it than the regular auto fire until i get it leveled up to a certain level then i can hold both down right and and i think you're right i, I found that to be the case as well um although like i said i played i played most of the month with the nes advantage and so i already was using auto fire with that controller anyway yeah, I use it. Yeah, I use a joy card, and I yeah put turbo on because it it is a lot faster. Um, I just standard pad everything. I always forget to even try anything else. You hold your pad in a weird way though for doing those things. So. I do. 
yeah, you can get I, away I, like, with put it. it on my lap and and play it like a like a joystick from an arcade almost like i don't hold it with with my hands and my thumbs oh uh, do you do you do that thing where um i used to do this with my sega genesis controller sometimes with certain games where i would put my thumb kind of under the right side of the controller and then my three fingers would be over the a b and c buttons and i would kind of tap them that way is, is it similar to that or just literally um yeah kind of except i don't hold it with my thumb underneath i just literally put it on my lap and, and then it's just uh two fingers uh pushing a and b and then i use my thumb from my left hand on the d-pad oh okay hmm, cool and I, I play almost everything like that it's it's become a weird habit even platformers and stuff it is i've played with Krabby before and you're like oh what are you doing <laughs> Uh, well, hey, we all have our quirks, right? Uh, Krabby, you got a few quirks. I'll, I'll, I got a few too. <laughs> it's good. It's all good. All good. Hey, whatever gets me to the end of the game, I, I'll hold it however. Like when I play Mega Man X, I have this weird claw that I have to hold to dash and jump and shoot at the same you're, time. You're much better. It's, it's different for different You're games. much better at these things than I am, so I'm not going to knock whichever way you're going to get it done. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna join you in that and uh, and say that uh, your 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 skill that you've demonstrated with the NES games has been uh, second to none. So <sighs> whatever works for you, go with it. Appreciate that. It's my favorite system to goof around on. Uh, so like uh, we kind of already have said this, but yeah, the B button fires your primary cannon, uh, and you start out with a single a single shot. That you can shoot and i think it'll shoot up to two at a time that will be on screen uh and then as you're as you're playing through the game you collect power-ups for your primary weapon that will allow you to to power that up so um when you collect the first level then you can shoot three of those single shots at once or three that can be on screen at a time when you collect a second power-up then you can shoot uh, two volleys of a twin shot, and then the next one gives you three volleys of the twin shot, and then the next one gives you two volleys of a triple shot, and then the next one gives you three volleys of a triple shot. Now, um, in order to power up beyond that, there are a couple of ways to do that. The, the main way is to just continue to collect the power-ups for the primary weapon. And if you collect uh, 18 additional chips, then it's either 18 additional or 18 total. Uh, I think it's 18 additional. Uh, then you can reach super status. And essentially what that does is it takes your triple shot and it widens it. Uh, and so... Um, instead of just this triple shot that's shooting out from the front of your ship <clears throat> where um, you know it's kind of a it's not as wide as your ship it it widens it out so it's like you're shooting out a single shot in front and then on the sides of your ship you're also shooting out uh, single shots and so your your range of of attack is much wider um, and also it gives you the tiniest little bit of protection on either side of your ship because then if you've got enemies coming in from the sides and you're rapidly firing or you're you know holding down the button for auto fire 
Uh, sometimes those enemies will get caught in those shots as they're coming out, and so it provides just a little bit of, of additional cover on the sides. Yeah, it's, it's super helpful even for like uh, those pretty common enemies that come in on each side of the screen and then close in on you in the middle. Yes. Um, it just wipes them completely. It makes them not an issue where, where with certain power-ups, they can be quite a challenge sometimes. Yes, they can guys, indeed. I don't know if you guys saw this, and I didn't. I only pretty much ever use weapon number seven, which we're going to get to in a minute. But with that one, it didn't seem to matter how many chips I collected. I could never get to that super status with my gun unless I found the faces that instantly power you up. I mean, I could collect tons and tons of chips, but I would never get past that standard triple shot. And I don't know if it's maybe just that weapon or or if there's something else to do with it, but with other ones... You know, I've had that power up with, with seven specifically, the fully powered super yeah, shot. Yeah, but did you get it from collecting chips or did you get it from shooting one of the faces? Uh, both ways. Huh? I, I think with the chips, like when you run through them with the box, yeah. um, you know how you can like get, it counts as more than one yeah. chip? I don't think it counts as more than one chip to get to the super status. You have to get 18 of those, even if you're hoping double them kind oh, of. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I just didn't get enough, but I felt like I got a ton. Anyway, maybe not. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah I was the same way. But, I There was a couple of times when I, I managed to get the number seven weapon and keep it long enough to where I was trying to power up fully. And of course, I had already reached uh, power level five or whatever of the primary weapon where it was the the triple shot um but yeah I, the only i could never i could never power it up enough with chips to get to the super um primary weapon um once i had weapon seven and i'm not sure what that was about i can't remember which stage it's one of the later ones like stage probably nine or ten um there's a ridiculous amount of chips in that stage and not power-ups um, so if you go into that stage with with a couple uh, primary shots already boosted up, that I think that was the stage that I always ended leaving with the super shot. Mm. That's the one with the nine is the one with the little things you can't shoot but you have to touch. Is it that one? Nope, that's definitely not the one. It's the one before that I think. Then so it must be okay. Eight. Nine I think is the ones like that bio level with those little Metroids yeah. that come at you. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's good. Um, so yeah, and then the other the other you mentioned uh, are the faces, and I guess we'll touch on those uh, here briefly. But there are there are these little I don't know if you call it a building or just a a ground installation of some kind that looks kind of like a face, and it's called the eye eye uh, for some weird reason. <laughs> Got two eyes. <clears throat> I guess so. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you shoot the eye eye a few times, um, then it will fully power up both your primary and your sub weapon. Yeah, it really rocks. Yeah, feels good because they come so fast. You can't usually plan them. So when you just catch one by accident, all of a sudden, like all guns are blazing. It just feels great. Yeah, I always get the one memorized. I think it's in stage three. Is that first one that you can find where it 
it's pretty easy to hit kind of towards the middle. So I'm always like, all right, here it's coming, here it's coming. <laughs> uh, I was talking to Metal a couple days ago. I didn't realize, I, I knew there had to be more than the one I found. The only one I knew about was in stage five. So that one I always hit, but he told me there was one in three as well. I'm like, I should have been hitting that the whole time. I've sort of learned a lot. I mean, I had played this game a lot and I'd watched, you know, the the streams, which helped a lot. I, like after watching the streams, watching someone else play this long enough, it helps you it helps you memorize where all the stuff's at. Because when you're playing, you're so frantically worried about what's on screen, you really can't memorize, okay, here's this now, and here's that now, here's that now. But when you're watching someone else, you can take your brain off of that and just focus on the layout more. That makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. I uh, Now you're making me wish I would have watched uh, a few playthroughs of Xanak as I was going through the month because uh, there were times I felt a little bit uh, in over my head. <laughs> it really helped. I mean, I've played this game a lot and I could always usually get to like level six or so. Not too bad. And especially if you warp, it's not that bad to get that far in the game. But well, again, I just this month after watching you stream... I, I, probably those first four levels, you played them so much. I really have those down now, <laughs> so I know where all the stuff is at. Yeah, that that helps too, and and that's that's one of the things that that's one of the reasons why when I play these things, I don't credit feed. I I literally just do one credit, and then when I'm done, I'm done. I don't continue, and uh, I go back because I know that. Especially for games where there's a there's a level of of memorizing that you can do, or uh, you know, kind of learning patterns and stuff like that, that you can you can really benefit from that because then you can really master those earlier levels, so that when you want to play the later levels, in you know, in older games like this that don't offer you a, a practice option to jump to a specific level or whatever, that you can just fly through those. Uh, and then get to the part of the game where you actually struggle with and need to practice. Yeah, and this game being so uh, variable with what it throws at you, the only thing you can work with is like knowing where certain ground targets and things are always going to be. Right. Yeah, uh, and that's that's something we'll definitely uh, definitely have to broach as we go along here. So moving on, we also have the eight varieties of sub-weapon. And so, uh, Addicted, would you like to fill us in on uh, sub-weapon zero? Sure. Sub-weapon zero, also known as the all-range weapon, rapidly fires energy balls in the direction you're moving or straight ahead if you're not moving the ship. It's fully powered up two orbs at a time, spaced out from the ship with unlimited ammo and can be powered up four times and at level four it can destroy some of the enemy bullets. Did you end up using weapon zero quite a bit? I did uh, because I died a lot. (laughs) 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 Uh, So there it's actually in terms of default weapons I, I think it was probably the best design choice that they made was to make zero the default weapon um, because it gives you a lot of options. Um, you know, you can fire it in eight directions and when you power it up and then shoot either forward or back, 
it gives you some degree of coverage. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I used Z Zero a lot. And actually, uh, there were several times when, uh, um, when I would actually be able to power up the weapon Zero all the way, either because of that level 3 II uh, installation, where I would get there and... Uh, what almost always happened, which was I would have the number three or the number seven weapon, and I would get almost all the way there, and then some doofus would take me out, <laughs> and uh, then I would be stuck with the zero again, so then I would get that powered up. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I ended up using the zero quite a bit. All right. I'll agree with you that, you know, I think as far as like a default weapon goes, the way everything come as, comes at you in this game... I couldn't imagine being like totally powered down and having anything else because you would just get destroyed yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah, it's got decent rapid fire too. So even if you die on like a boss, I, I find it as, as one of the better weapons to have when you're fighting a boss. Um, and, and those guys that we were talking about earlier that come in from the sides, it's one of the only weapons that you can hit them with consistently too. So I, I used it a lot too. And if I had to rank these, I'd probably make my top three. Like, it, it's really solid as a weapon. Yeah, definitely it's something that doesn't... In this game in general, it's something that you're not going to see suffers from the Gradius or Gradius Syndrome, where you one hit and then you might as well just restart the game. It really does a lot to help keep the momentum of the game flowing. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to Weapon 1, also known as the Star... Sorry, excuse me, as the Straight Crusher. It shoots a single orb in front of your ship that is powerful enough to take out most of the popcorn enemies and keep going to the end of the screen. Fully powered up, it becomes a large orb. Ammo is limited and is based or per shot. Can be powered up five times going from a single shot to a twin shot, then to a large shot, then increasing stock. And at level 5, the large shot moves around after being fired to create a larger field of effect or field of damage. This one I didn't use too much on here. I mainly stuck with, as was previously mentioned, with weapon 0, whether I want to or not in some cases. Weapon, <laughs> weapon 3 and then weapon 7. Did anybody else use this quite a bit? I never. I played around with it to just like for this so I could talk about it. And it is really awesome if you can get it to a boss or a mid-boss. It sucks for the rest of the stage, though. Yeah, I literally never use this weapon, ever. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Krabby. I I, uh, I played around with it, and I quickly found that it was difficult to... It's difficult to maneuver through all the enemies and bullets and stay alive long enough to power it up. Uh, so yeah. unless you can manage to get to, um, you know, one of those installations that powers you up with the number one weapon, uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to actually get to that point. Now I remember seeing in the game's attract mode, there's at least one spot where it shows the fully powered up number one, and it's pretty cool because it's a really large orb that you know cuts a pretty good swath through things, but boy your, your sides are fairly unprotected even when it's powered up too oh yeah. yeah yeah so you really have to want to to play that way strategically 
in order to commit to that weapon. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say that weapon is weapon zero were a handgun. Weapon one would be a shotgun. Hmm. And it's got it, it's definitely got you've got a huge area of effect, but you have to be get it really close and really make sure you all your shots count in order to do maximum damage. Yeah, yeah. If you miss and it's just floating out where you don't want it to be, it's it's a pain. I just can't see with all the other options you have why you would choose this one. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on to weapon two, also known as the field shutter. It's a shield that creates a small barrier in front of your ship. As you power it up, it gets wider and wider until you fully power it up, where it becomes a full outlier shield around your ship. Each hit you take with the shield depletes the counter in the bottom right. And as your shield runs out of energy, it shrinks. So you got to be mindful as you ma- navigate through the enemies and enemy fire. This was, again, a weapon that I, I didn't end up using too much. As I mentioned before, I stuck with mainly 3 and 7 when I, when I, when I could. You know, it's not something that... <clears throat> I thought that... That turtling or turtle defense was a good idea for a game that moves as quick as Zanuck. <laughs> that I, the, the game just when you have this power up, the game just turns the volume completely up with with the enemies and the projectiles. Yeah. It's like, oh no, you think you're safe? No way. <laughs> I mean, the only time I literally ever used this one is like for about the first half of stage one. Because it gives you tons of them right up front, kind of like right off the yeah, track. it's kind of like a way just to go like, oh, well, here let's we'll give you a little something to get you used to how the game works. But as the instant I can get a seven, I'm like, forget this thing, it's gone. Yeah, when I when I started playing it in the beginning of February, uh, and I saw oh, there's two of these right away, and then there's another one that comes shortly thereafter. Um, I grabbed them because I was like, yeah, I want a shield for my ship. Um, but yeah, I noticed that uh, the game started throwing all kinds of stuff at you. And what I didn't know was that the enemy waves and behavior and stuff changes somewhat based on which sub-weapon you have. So, but yeah, I, I would purposely go for the number two because I thought that the the way the enemies came down and like, like you were saying, Krabby, those guys that come down on both sides and then converge in the center to try and box you in. I thought that's just the way the level was designed. And so I thought I was doing myself a favor by grabbing the shields and trying to get through that big swarm. What I didn't realize was that the game changes things up on you based on the sub-weapon that you have. So I was unintentionally telling the game to turn it up to 11 and go full spinal tap on me. Uh... (laughs) and just throw actual absolutely everything at me. Um, and so I, I started with the number two weapon as my go-to, um, but I quickly realized that once you get that number two, that the game is going to do everything in its power to drain that shield. Uh, and so I, I, it didn't take me more than a few days to move away from that. Yeah, that's, it's a trap. <laughs> there's, there's no the upside's too small to to what it throw at you for that. It's a trap, <laughs> especially at the beginning when you've got the pea shooter gun to go with it. I mean, if you had a fully powered up gun, maybe, but no way. 
Well, right at the start, you just hit that middle box, and your your three rapid fires are going right off the yeah, bat. Yeah, but you're, I mean, even with that, it's not a lot of firepower. Right. Because your sides, I mean, it's everything is just going to crash yeah. on the sides and destroy your shield in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a, it's not a weapon that is good long term. I'm curious, I'm going to ask a question here, and you can tell me to stop if we're going to talk about this later, but I'm curious. I just want to play some shooters. When I'm playing some games, it's about keeping a wide scope of vision and seeing things all over the screen. But some games like this game in particular, when I'm playing, I only pay attention to the area right around my ship, and it's more about dodging things and not about taking the whole scene in. Does that make sense? Yes, and that's actually something that we've talked about here on the podcast before, and something that um, has been suggested in previous threads, uh, just in in terms of certain shooting games, but in particular uh, shooting games. I think on the in the broader sense is that um, you're well served to limit your field of vision when you're playing a game of this type to the area surrounding your ship and only only when there are lulls in the action or um, or you know the enemy patterns and waves and stuff are more spaced out do you want to pay attention to more of the screen real estate um, so yeah that's it's a good overall strategy I think to use with shooting games in general I must not be very disciplined in other ones, but this one I've played enough where I just I keep that little tunnel vision pretty much the whole time. I, I do too. I find even when I try to, to look at the, the full screen, it's just too fast. It's disorienting. So just having that tunnel vision, I think, keeps me more, just keeps me alive because I, I just lose track of everything if I try and look at bigger stuff. And you have to be dodging in this game constantly. Yeah, yeah. There's very, very few moments of relief. Yeah, which which makes picking the number two weapon that much more of a problem because <laughs> yeah. it it then forces you to dodge twice as much stuff because it's throwing everything and the kitchen sink and the pipes that hook up the sink <laughs> and the plumbing in the basement as well. <laughs> yeah, you uh, just turn into a magnet for everything. Yeah. All right, moving on to weapon three, also known as the circular. It creates an orb that will rotate quickly around your ship and acts as both an offensive and defensive weapon, taking it by taking out approaching enemies and knocking down most types of enemy bullets and fire. Powering it up once makes it faster, a second time adds a second orb, and a third time gives you the twin orb. Power level four widens the range to provide greater coverage. Now we're talking in some good weapons here. This is my go-to early weapon for Xanic Neo. And definitely, whenever I see it, I'll pick it up. Here, everyone else's concur or? Actually, this one's fairly low on my list. I find it really similar to weapon two where it's just not offensive enough for me and I'm too nervous, especially in the early levels, that it's not going fast enough I'm gonna get a stray bullet through it. 
I usually stay away from these ones. I I prefer a zero over over the three in most cases. Wow, uh, I'll agree. I, I don't I don't use three at all. That's why I was really surprised just when I would see your streams and you would go for threes like all the time. And I'm like, man, I never touched that three because that same idea. I just don't. I feel like it's a, a not a great shield and it's not a great weapon. So it's kind of like fails on both parts. <clears throat> yeah. See, and for me. Uh, I like the three because it's just enough shield and it's just enough weapon that I can that it, it helps me to compensate for my own uh, my own shortcomings in terms of dodging because I feel like when the game starts to throw a lot of stuff at you if you've got something that can help mitigate some of that then like say 50% of that then the other 50%, uh, it's easier for me to dodge because I don't have to pay attention to as much. Um, <clears throat> and also on the offensive side, yeah, it's a, it can be a little bit dicey. Uh, and so then when you're trying to use it in a more offensive manner, uh, it really is better to wait to do that until it's fully powered up because then you know you've got the twin orbs they're spread out further and so you've got a much bigger kind of field of effect there with those when they're spinning around your ship and they're going faster um but yeah i I get what you're saying but i i found the number three to be um better for me than the zero uh, a lot of times because with the zero there's no uh there's no nothing knocking the bullets down or helping to stop the bullets until you're fully powered up at level 5. With the number 3, you get that effect, at least at some level, immediately. Yeah, and that's kind of why I really like these games and all of these in this series is because you have this variety that you don't get in a lot of shooters. You know, usually you're kind of stuck or like this is the one you use on this level and this is the one you should use on this part. And this one, you've got a lot of freedom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not stuck with uh, Gradius. Uh, either you use a ripple, the laser, or the dual shot and that's all you get. Ripple? Who uses ripple? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, but that's, I wish that your power levels could transfer over a little bit. I mean, that would be nice, but, you know, I get the idea why they don't want to make it that easy for you. Right. And that's that's something that we haven't touched on yet, but that's it's a good time to at least mention it, is if, you, if you're working on powering up a sub-weapon and you accidentally grab another one, or you decide to grab another one, your power level doesn't transfer with you, uh, and so you go back to power level zero for whatever weapon you've grabbed. I found this particularly problematic when uh, <laughs> I would activate, and I know you saw me do this I know, I would, I would just have to laugh along with you, just go like, oh no, no! Because <laughs> sometimes they're overlapping or they're super close. Or, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so when you're trying to weave through a sea of, of power-up icons uh, gently floating to the top of the screen... Uh, and grab the uh, the one that's in the middle. Uh, invariably, sometimes, unless you have precision uh, control, you're going to run into something that you didn't intend to, and suddenly you're down three power levels and back to a weapon that either you didn't want or you got the weapon that you want, but now you're back to square one. 
So, uh, I think in hindsight, it would have been nice if, even if they would have cut down the the power level by, say, one or, or something like that, it would have been nice if there was some kind of transfer of power from one weapon to the next so that you didn't feel quite as powerless. Um, but I get why they did it that way because of the way they designed the game with a sort of adaptive difficulty. Talking about it too, like you could abuse like weapon six in particular really badly because they give you a lot more zeros and twos in the game. If you max those out, switch it over to six and wipe the screen for 15 lives like every every level, that, that'd be a little too much. That's true. Yeah, so it makes sense that they did it that way. It's just, uh, it, in the heat of the moment, it feels punitive. Oh, yes. And, and it scrolls so fast sometimes, like, not even intentionally. I'll just all of a sudden have a different weapon, and I didn't even see me pick it up. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, or you get the opposite, where the ones your power-up drops down on the screen, and by the time you notice it's there and you need to go shoot it, it's zip, it's gone. <laughs> yep. Yep. Or the worst is when you see it's there the whole time, but there's just some enemies in the way and you can't clear them out in time to get it and you just watch it the whole entire time slowly drifting away and you can't do anything. I know, and I think sometimes you have to show restraint because you'll see it up at the top of the screen and you're like, I, I really want to go get it, but I know if I put myself, I'm dead. I'll be dead if I go for that thing and I just have to just let it go. All right, moving on to Weapon 4, also known as the Vibrator. When activated, a ball of energy roughly the size of your ship is released. It moves forward from your ship and then vibrates back and forth horizontally, taking out enemies and bullets in its path. It dissipates really quickly after the energy is depleted, and each time you fire one, you get approximately 60 seconds or hits per energy ball. When that is done, you can move your ship to determine where to fire the next Vibrator. Now, weapon four. <laughs> it's, my, it's my wife's favorite weapon. Yeah. <laughs> hey, family friendly. Oh. Family. It'll friendly. get cut. I, I don't, thought we were gonna get. It's, it's that. gonna get. It's gonna get cut. I don't have to worry about that. This is for us. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't use the vibrator a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was gonna happen. So these, I, I would never, ever, ever grab them during the level. But if you die during a boss fight and one comes down, they are the best. You just drop it over the biggest cluster of uh, little eyeball things that are popping in and out. And it just eats through them like nothing. And it and it eats up a whole bunch of bullets too. It, it's really helpful. Even just, just the level one one on a boss. But but for the rest of the stage, like it just doesn't cover enough area to be be helpful. Yeah, I I tried to go with the, the number four. Um at times, but you're absolutely right. You know, it, it, it gives you that little bit of defensive effect, uh, but it moves so far in front of your ship that, like, when you fire it, you know, it moves out in front of your ship and then it kind of moves upward on the screen and then it'll just sort of park somewhere and then, yeah. you know, oscillate back and forth. And it's so bizarre, the the pattern or the thought process behind making the weapon this way. Um, 
and you're right. It's great for bosses uh, if you can manage to make it to one with with the number four. Or like you said, if if a number four comes down during that time and you pick it up, uh, it's great for decimating bosses quickly because it'll just sit there and mow them down. But uh, yeah, it's even fully powered up. It's not a weapon that yeah. that uh, I found to be very effective during normal play. For the main stage too, um, it's so far ahead of you. Like you said, that it will if it hits another power up when you do want to switch, it's too far up the screen and you don't have a lot of time to collect it, and they're usually gone as soon as they appear. So you don't get a chance to switch out of the four very often. Either. Exactly. Uh, so it, it becomes a huge detriment. Yeah, I find four is again one of those weapons that's best avoided. I just I would rather have the zero than the four. Definitely. It's one of those ones where I'm like, why did they make this? Because, like, if you're going to have a real choice, well, you wouldn't power this up. I mean, weapons like 7 are so much better. Yeah, I would never switch a 7 out for 4. But during a boss fight, if one comes down, anything else other than a 7, I'd, I'd probably I can see that. But it's so limited. Yes. Yeah, it's only got that one use. I, like, never want it for the rest of the stage. This, If I finish a boss with it, the first thing I'm doing in the next stage is looking for it. Power up <laughs> yeah, and then you're, like, not shooting it because you want to actually collect a power-up. Exactly, yeah. All right, leaving the vibrator behind, we move on to weapon five, also known as the rewinder. You fire an energy ball that will travel forward a ways and then come back to your ship at roughly the same speed. Upgrade once for a twin energy shot and twice to spread out the twin shot for greater coverage. In this form, it's a relatively useless weapon, even though it does destroy enemy bullets. However, if you collect three additional Weapon 5 icons after reaching level 2, it transforms into a laser weapon. Each successive five power-ups you pick up will lengthen the laser up to a maximum of four additional pickups. The laser is the only weapon in the game, aside from the smart bombs, that will destroy the eggshells that split open and shoot missiles at you. It also doesn't bounce off larger enemies like most sub-weapons do. I use this occasionally, but again, I'm mainly stuck with weapon 3 and 7. It's still pretty neat once you got it powered up. I could never survive long enough to power this thing up to the laser. Yeah, I see I'm it in the, the demo, but... I'm like, I'm never going to get there, so why does it matter? Because the before that, it's terrible. Yeah, that that's... that. I'm in the same exact boat. I, I was never able to get more than maybe two number five power-ups at the most uh, in order to power this thing up. I, I thought, when I saw that in the attract mode, I was like, holy cow, there's a laser. That's going to cut through everything. <laughs> I want that. Uh, and then I read about it in the strategy wiki, and it said, oh, you have to power it up, and then you have to power it up a whole bunch more times. And I said, well, maybe I can survive long enough. No, not a chance. <laughs> the only thing I found it ever useful for was the sub-bosses. It's, it's not great for regular bosses like some of the other weapons. Uh, but the sub-bosses, it takes down really fast, even an early level, one or first or second level version of it. But, like, yeah, it's it's maybe the worst weapon in the game for most situations. So will it, it doesn't bounce off even before it's powered up on those sub bosses. It does, but it does enough damage. It's worth it. Even with the bounce. It, yeah. Oh, so like that, uh, that 
plane thing in stage two. Yeah, yeah, for example, that guy, yeah. Or there's the one with that has the like uh, pink circles that like float all around it, and it it's got an eyeball in the middle and floats around the screen. Oh right, like really the, hard. Th- there's not a lot of sub bosses in this game, so I would never collect one of these expecting to hit one. <laughs> but it, if you happen to luck into one when you have it, it takes them down pretty fast. Huh. Way too special purpose. Yes, very much so. It seems to be a recurring theme. And and like you said. The, the laser is, is fantastic, but it's so hard to get. I feel like maybe five is probably the sparsest power-up I, I remember seeing playing through this game, too. So it's really hard to get to that laser unless you're you're getting the eye-eyes. For sure. All right, moving on to weapon six, also known as the Plasma Flash. It essentially acts as a targeted smart bomb. When fired, the instant it comes into contact with the enemy or bullet, it will detonate damaging everything on screen, including wiping out all enemy fire. The first upgrade just adds additional bombs beyond the initial allotment of 20, while the second upgrade foregoes the release of the bomb as an orb and just acts as a smart bomb on demand. The next two upgrades add additional stock, and the final upgrade at level 5 you get a single crash bolt to use. Once fired, it hits something, all enemies and bullets get converted to 1-ups, and you lose weapon 6 and go back to weapon 0. I never was able to get this powered up very much. It was sort of one of those ones for me that was neat and idea, but not really good in practice. This is my go-to to start the game. I, I play through this like for the first five or six stages before I switch out to seven. Wow. Now, do you do that so you can get all the extra lives from like that, the II thing? Yeah. It's a good start. Not from the II, like right at the start of the first stage um, on the right-hand side, if you ignore the twos and zeros on the mm-hmm. left, you get three of them right off the bat, and then you usually get uh, two to three more in the next stage. So you can you can do the fully powered and load up on some one-ups by the end of stage two or early stage three almost every time mm. w- without too much trouble. Uh, but even that, once you just get it to the third stage, Having a screen clear when you get stuck with a bunch of bullets around you is always helpful. Um, as well as if you're going for a high score in this game, it wipes everything on the screen and you get points for it. It's it's pretty good score item as well. This is always one of those weapons where I understand that it's pretty decent, but I still don't use it. I don't know why. I just go for the sevens. There's so much stuff on the screen, even at the early levels, it's really hard to miss and not have it connect with something and, and wipe the screen. For but you. there's those times when you do shoot it and it's just floating across the screen and there's nothing there and you're like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. That that does happen, <laughs> but you you can. Uh, I usually save them until something's really close to me and, and make sure I'm not going to miss. There's like a cluster of three or four bullets. I'm not just going to try and connect <laughs> Yeah, right. if not, you just see it sailing, and you're like, "I'm dead. I'm so dead." Yeah, yeah. I when I was when I was experimenting with the number six, I could get it powered up to about level three, and that that's really useful because then basically you hit the A button and you just have a smart bomb. It doesn't even shoot the yeah. the orb out. It literally just destroys everything on screen. Um, so that's really helpful, but I always felt like I found that I, even with that, it, I had a hard time staying alive long enough to power it up further, or, uh, I would get nervous because of all the stuff coming at me and I would use them up too quickly and then have to move on to another weapon or go with the zero again. 
Yeah, there's times where I'd be down to like three or less and I would hold off on using them until I saw another one just for the reload sometimes. Um, and, and you should typically have a pretty powered up uh, primary weapon to back it up because you, you still need some firepower coming out of you constantly. Definitely. The only downside I would say about that, though, is that since it blows up everything, it's going to blow up the power chips, too. It does, yeah. It's it's really hard. So I usually, like, at the, like I said, to use it early in the game, that first um, power chip, uh, you just grab the middle block before shooting it so you get the full power chip. And then you you just collect the sixes after that, and you're you're good to go like right at the start of the game. And and I I have grabbed it late in the game too when when sevens are sparse because the screen clear is just awesome. And there's so much stuff like you said that the level you mentioned with the like little Metroid babies mm-hmm. that float around you, you can shoot it off them. They're slow and useless, and you don't need to clear them off the screen. So you can just keep one around to use as a screen wipe. Well, and they they stick to you like glue anyway, just about. All right, moving on to weapon seven. My favorite weapon in the game, also known as high speed. It fires a rapid orb shot from the front of your ship. When moving left or right, it directs the uh, trajectory of your sub-weapon to angle in that general direction. You start off with 200 shots, but the counter only depletes when you connect with the target or after approximately one second of constant fire. Upgrading increases the number of orbs you fire, so the high speed fire is more dense. A second upgrade will help further increase the density, and the final upgrade at level 3 makes the orbs very large. This is largely considered the best weapon in the game because it knocks down enemy bullets and when fully powered up is capable of being both offensive and defensive at the same time. My favorite weapon in the game indeed. There always one I could get to it. This thing just feels like it's just like a, a windshield wiper for stuff, you know? I just back and forth and back and forth, and, and it's like, you're all dead and gone. You're all gone. I never thought of that windshield wiper. That's absolutely right. Yeah, but when you use it, do you do that? Where it's like, left, right, left, yeah. right, left, right. Yeah, you, you just wait until things stop exploding on one yeah. side and you move over to the other side. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, and you, when you get this uh, thing another, powered another up... Another thing that I love oh, about man. this that is not mentioned in the description is it goes through indestructible enemies so when you're at a boss and they're like three or four Mm -hmm. deep um, you can actually and they're only opening up in the back to shoot stuff at you you can still blow up the ones in the back because the the damage goes through all the closed ones in front of it so it's super helpful even at early level like level one on a boss it's fantastic especially those parts of the bosses that shoot those little things that spiral at you that's exactly what I was thinking of because they always open and close and they always have one or two at the back of the Uh boss so you can wipe those out really early with with a low level yeah best weapon hands down yeah my my problem with the number seven is I can't ever keep it (laughs) (laughs) you know I would I would level it up get good exactly I would level it up once or twice uh, and then like I said, I would get to level three, I'd have a level two or three number seven weapon, and I would get to just just moments before the II and ready to power it up and and uh, have you know amazing powers and, and total destructive capacity and I would die. Uh, and so uh, I did I did manage to power it up fully a few times and and you really you that orb is huge when you've got it. Oh, it is yeah. huge. And the nice thing is, because it's so huge, you cut through everything. I mean, 
enemy bullets and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, the only thing it doesn't destroy is those uh, those eggshell things that when they split off and then shoot the missiles at you, that's the only thing it doesn't it doesn't destroy. But it still shoots through them. So if there's something behind them, you can take them out. Yes, uh, unfortunately. When I would power up the number seven like that, a lot of times you'd start to get a lot of those enemies yeah. that would get in your way, making it harder for you to move left and right to aim your number seven shot. And so it's a way for the, the game's adaptive di- difficulty to compensate for um, to compensate for your weapon choice. And thinking about it now in context of the story and uh, you know you're fighting the system you know this this sophisticated computer ai it makes perfect sense that the enemy would adjust its uh, attack pattern based on what you're doing and what weapon you're trying to use to take them out yeah it definitely starts throwing a lot more of those things at you when you've got that powered up you'll have to be careful about just threading the needle a little bit through those guys. Yeah, and it also starts sending out more of those enemies that come down on the sides and then close in on you uh, to converge. Uh, So you end up having to either not sit at the bottom of the screen uh, so that when those come come in, you know, you can kind of fake them out to have them come in a little bit further so then you can drop down and take them out and then move back up again for the next pair that's going to come down. I don't know if you got to the stage they start appearing, but there's that type of enemy that comes from the bottom too, so you don't want to stay too low at certain points because they'll they'll come from the top and the bottom simultaneously after a while as well. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think in stage six there's at least one area where you'll have the blue ones that come from the top and the yellow ones that come from the bottom yeah. all at the same time. The, the yellow ones are pretty prominent in the last few stages. Yeah, I was just trying to say, like, level 10 or 11 or whatever it was, you just get these swarms of both of them coming constantly, yeah. and you have to just, you're just dodging like crazy to get through them. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds like lots of fun. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. It's pretty, it's pretty if you tough. have the fully powered up orb, it is wide enough that you can usually hit them when they're coming together. But if you have anything less than that, the seven's really hard to deal with those guys. Unless you've got the fully powered up uh, primary weapon, then you've got the extra lasers down the side. That helps a lot. That's true. Yeah, and when you get that full power up, you know, or the eyes or whatever, and you have number seven and those wide cannons. You just feel like a destruction machine in that game. Yeah, yeah I re- totally agree with that. I remember I was streaming one time, and I did manage to get to the II with the number seven and get fully powered up with both the number seven and the primary weapon. And yeah, it's the ultimate... You know, people talk about... And not to get not to wax philosophical too much here, but a lot of video games are designed as power fantasies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you take the role of some mystical uh, or robotic or otherwise uh, kind of superhuman type of character, and you wreak havoc, and you're you know you're knocking dudes out left and right, and you're blowing stuff up and whatever, and. And this is one of those moments when, where it, when it really fulfills that sort of power fantasy of, I'm in a spaceship, 
with a, an insane arsenal and nothing can stop me unless <laughs> I unless I move in the wrong direction and run into something. And, and for however long you can hold on to that, it does kind of evoke that feeling. Which takes me to a flip side, which is totally nothing to do with Xanak, but I really don't understand at all people that want to do things like play Farming Simulator. Because <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's like the antithesis of... There's an esports league for a farming game that I just read a couple days ago. People want to watch other people play farming games. I, I get, I'm sure to some people it's very zen or whatever. But to me, like that power fantasy, that's why I want to play a game, right? Because this is something I can't do in real life. Um, I, I could probably become a farmer if I really wanted to. <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to derail the conversation. No, that's that's a good point. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the attractive things about a shoot 'em up game, is you know there's an element of of, or at least an attachment to reality with some of it. You know, you play a game like 1942, and yeah, you know World War II actually happened. People flew planes, and there were dogfights and stuff like that. But the way that, but they had way better soundtracks <laughs> back. <then. That's- laughs> that's true. Hey, the C64 version was not that bad. That's true. No, but I mean, you know, but you're not, when you're flying a plane, you know, you're not one one plane against the entire fleet kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. You're not one jet that, or, or one plane that flying through the air, all of a sudden, you magically get an upgrade that makes your cannon uh, shoot more bullets. Oh, wouldn't that be wild? That'd be crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, that stuff doesn't happen. So there's still... Even with those games that are grounded in reality, there's still an element of fantasy and a, you know, one person against the whole world kind of of element to it that makes that gives you that feeling that you're that you're more powerful or that you have more control over things than you actually do. Uh, and so I think that's one of the reasons why. Gaming is such a popular escape. And it's funny that we're talking about this, and again, this is a little tangent, so I won't spend a lot of time here, but we talk about that. You know, some of these games are this lone fighter, right? You're the all by yourself, against the world. But I always remember, and it stuck out to me, especially when I played Silphied on the Sega CD, because they would have all these pieces where in the background there's just these gigantic space battles going on behind you, and you feel like you're like a part of something really big. And that was very different than most of the games that you'd played up to that point. And I mean, it's nothing. It's not interactive. It's just, but it gave you that feeling almost like in a movie where you see all the ships and everybody's fighting and flying around and you're like, all right, this is pretty awesome. And you really don't get that with a lot of games. Right. And there are, there are a handful of, of shoot 'em ups that have that at some level. Um, <clears throat> for example, Philosoma on the original PlayStation uh, takes that idea of kind of what you have with Sylphid, you know, the radio chatter and and all this other stuff going on. Because in that game, you're actually commanding a squadron of other fighters like you. And there are times, certain stages and levels where there will be other fighters coming in um, and fighting alongside you and assisting uh, during certain times. Or... We just talked about it last month in uh, Thunder Force 4, Lightning Force, when 
you get to stage five and um, you're fighting the battleship and once you take out the the thrusters and take out the enemy that kind of confronts you right away um, all of a sudden there are all these other ships that come in to try and and help you know take out the the battleship and so it, it is always neat when they when they put those other elements in there even if as you say like with Sylphid or or these other games they're not interactive bits um, you know it's a it's a nice element to <clears throat> um, help balance the whole you know one fighter plane against the whole the whole uh, armada kind of a thing you know because most of these games you end up having last starfighter syndrome oh yeah I was just thinking too you got Star Fox right it's a good old slippy <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, so we should probably we've kind of been alluding to some of the uh, stuff here so we should talk about the other bonuses and pickups and things um, the way that you we haven't exp- well we, we've kind of mentioned that the way you power up your primary cannon is through what are called power chips uh, and so those are just these little white orbs that you pick up uh, to, to power up the primary cannon. And the way you do that is by shooting down boxes. Um, why, when you're flying through space and over <laughs> these planets, suddenly there are these formations of three wooden boxes floating in the air? Um, I couldn't say, but uh, you shoot these boxes and at least one of them will usually reveal a... Uh, power chip. Um, now, if you shoot the box once or twice, it'll kind of go translucent so you can see whether or not there's a power chip in it. And sometimes uh, when you shoot a box, it'll shoot out bullets. And they'll usually be a, a pair of bullets that'll shoot out kind of at an angle or at different angles, like, um, like a 30-degree angle in both directions. Um... And so you have to be careful not to be too close to a box when you shoot it. And especially later in the game, um, most of the boxes will will contain bullets, at least most of the boxes that don't already have power chips. Um, now, Krabby, you mentioned something earlier about running into the box uh, in order to power up your ship, and that's true. Um, if you run into a box and collide with it, and it, that happens to be a box that contains the power chip, then you'll immediately upgrade by like four or five levels, I think. Um, and then you can... 33% chance of winning. <laughs> yeah. And you can chain that together. But as you said, you, you kept mentioning the center box, but that's not always the case. <laughs> it's not. I, I was mentioning the center box for the very first boxes in the very first stage. It's not always there. It's It right. is always there. No, I watched Josh, I, it, I watched Josh fly into it. <laughs> in, yes. the, in the first stage, the very yep. first set of three. Yep. I've, very I've, first watched, set. I've played this game dozens of times and never <clears throat> not had it be I, that I watched him do it. Yes. <laughs> More than once. <laughs> yep. That's hilarious. Most of the time, I, I agree with you. Most are. of the time, it's there, but it's not always there. And do you ever do this? What? Like, the, this is the main thing, I think, because sometimes they always come out in sets of three. Sometimes there'll be one power chip. Sometimes there'll be two power chips out of all three. And every once in a while, there'll be none. Zero. And so yeah. sometimes yep. what you'll do is you'll shoot two of the boxes, and you're like, okay, none of those are <laughs> chips. I'm going to fly into this one. one. 
And then that's when, of course, they get you, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've had that happen. <laughs> uh, one of the, I don't know, easy ways to recover, too, once you've died is, well, you've got those invincibility frames. Is just swipe your ship past all three of them really quick, and you'll get, get the power-ups. And that brings up another thing. When you collect a chip, you have very temporary invulnerability. Emphasis on very. Yeah, like a few frames. <laughs> But it does. Your ship flashes and you're invulnerable for a little tiny bit of time. I don't know how you could use it effectively, but... Charge them down when there's a bullet between you and this ship. I bet a task, like one of those task runs, could probably do some crazy, crazy stuff with that. Yeah, I'm sure there's somebody that has has figured out a way via tool-assisted speedrun to totally milk the... (laughs) Uh, the iframes for power chip pickups and for sub weapon pickups, probably um, to you know to find a way through the game. Might actually be a pretty boring tool assist if they abuse weapon six. They just keep clearing the screen, and you would never <laughs> actually see anything happen. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but you ever watch one of those tasks like? They do it on purpose, I think, is where they just won't shoot at all. They'll just, like, dodge everything yeah. just to show you that it can be yeah. done. <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, uh, what was it that they were doing on uh, STG Weekly here a few months ago? They were doing a uh, a giggling playthrough nice. where um, it was a no-reflect playthrough, which is insane to think about because that's yeah. the game's main... Uh, main draw is the reflect mechanic, but they did a, a no reflect playthrough of the game. Crazy. And, uh, it was a one one credit clear. <laughs> and it wasn't tool assisted? It was not tool assisted. No. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Giggling makes me feel really good even when I lose because my score is still like 10 billion <laughs> when, I, when I do very poorly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that, I, I'm kind of that way too. I, I need to pull that one out and give it some more love. But yeah, that's one of those games. You're right. I mean, it's that's kind of like the game we're playing this month. Um, you know, there's, the scores are huge. Yeah. Does that make you feel better when they're just adding extra zeros on and you know it really doesn't matter? Oh, it does. It feels, <laughs> it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. I've got that like... It's like eating cookies. You know it's bad for you, but it feels good. Like my pinball machine. <laughs> Like the last zero in the counter doesn't even move. <laughs> it's just there to make your score look bigger. That, that's pretty common on the old real yep. machines. Yep. <laughs> like, why did they even waste this? Because it just painted a zero on there. <laughs> nice. Um, there are there are several ground installations in the game, uh, buildings of one type or another that. Uh, um, when you when you shoot them enough, they'll release an orb, uh, which is essentially a smart bomb. It's called the enemy eraser, and much like the weapon six, when you touch that smart bomb, it clears all the enemies on the screen. And when you when you release one from a building, it'll kind of gradually float towards the top of the screen. Uh, so it gives you a fair amount of time to actually utilize one. So you can be a little bit more strategic in doing that. Uh, I found a couple of times when there were a couple of buildings in an area close together and I could activate both of these smart bombs, it wasn't too much further before I got to the boss. And so I was actually able to get to the boss and then use both smart bombs to 
kind of clear the field and do damage to the boss um, and, uh, you know, kind of keep things cleared. But one of the cool things is that if you can manage to get to one of those buildings and uh, the screen stops like at a boss. Uh, so, for example, the one of the bosses in stage three, there's one of those buildings where you can release the orb and then use the smart bomb. But if you continue to fire at that building and just absolutely pelt it with with fire for a couple of minutes, it'll eventually you'll destroy it and you get a one up or you'll earn a massive amount of points. And it's usually enough to earn a one up. For some reason, they're called icons. The, those types of buildings, and there are two mm. different versions. The regular kind only gives you the enemy erasers. The second kind, which looks more like a smiley face, uh, will yield an enemy eraser that, if left alone long enough, will change into a warp ball and allow you to actually warp out of the level that you're in. Uh, now, I never encountered this, but according to the strategy wiki, it says that it's possible that you can be warped to a previous level, but usually it warps you forward. I want... I didn't even know these existed. <laughs> really? Oh, well. Yeah. I see, I, I, when I used to play the game, I would usually warp because I was trying to beat the game. This month has been a lot different for me because I was just going for points, and I'm not used to playing this game like that. I can imagine, though, if you knew the ones that sent you backwards, and if you, I wonder if you could milk that to just keep replaying levels if you were good oh, enough yeah. and just rack up a crazy score. Oh. You totally could. Like if there's a, it does, if there's a specific warp ball that sends you back. Right. I wonder, I wonder if it's like always one in particular or something, because if you were good enough, you could really get a crazy score. Wow. Yeah. Because the, the lives, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't. Like in a lot of games, after a certain point, it just becomes harder and harder. Like at first, there'll be 20,000 points to get a free man, and then 100,000 points, and then 500,000, and then they just stop giving them to you. In this game, it's always the same, it seems like. Yeah, you get a lot of one-ups from points because it's it's just yeah. always like a fixed set number of points will give you a one-up. Yeah. I, I don't know if they ever change that when you reach a certain score. I don't think so. It seems They seem pretty generous with them. I don't think so. Well, it's a good thing that they are because... Uh... <laughs> some of us some of us still suck at the game, so we need a lot of extra lives. <laughs> yeah, and it's amazing because like I've gotten up to maybe like ten or twelve extra lives sometimes. But man, you make one mistake and sometimes you burn through those in like no time flat. Oh yeah. yeah. Boom boom boom, you're down three or four. You don't lose one at a time in this game usually. Uh -uh. <laughs> yeah. And that that's one of the things I noticed and, and I'll just, you know, go on a tangent here for a second, but one of my gripes with the game is that you know, you were talking about the the minor, you know, slight invincibility that you get when you collect a power chip. It's the same way when you die and you respawn. You respawn immediately, and there's almost no invincibility. It's it's a very very short window of invincibility. So if you are caught in a crossfire, when uh, you respawn, if you don't have enough time to get out of dodge. Uh, and, you know, move out of the line of fire or out of a swarm of enemies, yeah, you're probably going to lose two or three lives before uh, the dust settles. And it's unfortunate, but it's it's one of the quirky things about the game's design that I don't like. Yeah, and it's also tough because 
if you've had like a powered up weapon or something, the game is throwing a ton of things at you on the screen. And now you're on the screen with no power-ups, and all that stuff is still there. And you're yep. not invincible very long, so it's like, <laughs> what do I do now? Yep, that's exactly right. And so that's one of the things that I think they they did a little bit better in some of their later games, where the, a lot of their later games were less adaptive in that sense, uh, the way that Xanak is. And so it, it feels... It, it's not like the game is laughing at you as you die um, in some of their later games. Yeah, it's a little, it's, it can get pretty brutal. I mean, and sometimes you feel really punished by it because you're like, this is just not fair. Yeah. But, I mean, there's nothing you can do. I, I think they're generous enough with the one-ups. It's not as big of a deal as it would be in most games, though. I think that's the only thing that that counters it is that yeah you can, you can rack yeah. up a lot of extra lives because if not oof yeah I think if if the extend counter kept going upward like you said to where it would stop giving you power ups or stop giving you one ups after a certain point or would make the number of points that you have to get to get another one up so exorbitant that you'd never make it. Uh, I think if they didn't have that kind of scenario, you would be you would be stuck. You know, it's it, in a lot of ways it's kind of like 1942 in that respect, where in 1942, uh, you know, you earned an, a one up at every I think 80,000 points uh, up to a certain point, and then there was a small gap, and then it was you know uh, a few more after that, and then eventually they stopped giving you your one-ups once you got up toward a million points. Um, but yeah. you can earn enough extra lives to where the game's randomness and punishing difficulty um, felt a little less punishing. And so I think if... That's one of the things about this game is that if it stopped giving you one-ups at a certain point or it the point total that you needed to hit climbed every time after you achieved it, uh, I don't think this game would be quite as fondly remembered because it would just be so, so punitive that it would be only the most hardcore uh, players or the, you know, the kids that got two games a year because that's all they can afford, <laughs> you know, if this was the only game that you were going to be playing for the next eight months uh, between birthday and Christmas, by golly, you were going to get your money's worth and, uh, or, you know, mom and dad's money's worth and, and that, and you were going to be, you were going to be playing it a lot. Uh, and so you might eventually get to the point where you could, where you could figure your way through it. But yeah, I, I, I think only the people dedicated enough to really put the time in uh, would have would have found their way through the game if it weren't for the number of extra lives that you get. <clears throat> totally. Uh, speaking of extra lives, uh, one of the ways to earn those is from uh, these ships called SARTs, uh, S-A-R-T, and I'm not not sure where the name comes from, but that comes down from the top of the screen, usually on the, or generally on the left or the right. And when you shoot them down, they give you like 500 points. And uh, when you destroy them, they have an effect where the enemy aggressiveness will power down a little bit. And 
My understanding is you don't see that effect very visibly until you destroy a bunch of them. Uh, but sometimes those things also have a blue lander or a one-up in them. Uh, and so one thing that you mentioned, uh, Duke Togo, is uh, that the very first Sart that comes down, it's one of the first three enemies that appears on the screen in the very first level. And there's a trick where if you shoot that Sart first, and you target it first with only the sub-weapon, and you don't shoot your primary weapon or anything else, until then, you will automatically release a blue lander, and you can pick up that one up very early in the game. Yeah, it's a big help um, right off the bat. So you've got to train yourself to... That's what I always go for first, is just plow right over, get that, and then I'm cooking from there. Yeah. Uh, my, <laughs> I had this problem where I would go and pick up that one up, and then right after that, there would be <laughs> missiles coming down from the top of the screen, and I would invariably run into a missile, thus completely nullifying the one up that I just picked up. At least you broke even. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I found that to be a very helpful uh, tip, and I don't know if there's any way to kind of cheese or milk additional sarts in the game uh, for other one-ups, but I did notice every once in a while in one of the later levels that one of those would would spawn a blue lander uh, one-up. And uh, um, unfortunately, in those situations, a lot of times the screen is swarming with stuff, and so it's harder to get up there and actually get that and achieve that one-up. And so... Mo the, the vast majority of the one-ups that I got through the game were because of points. Yeah, I, and it's, I don't, I'm sure somebody could figure out why, but it, beyond that point, it seems really random. I mean, I could never figure out why I would get one or why I wouldn't. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out either. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess it probably has something to do with some some piece of your score or something, or I don't know. Yeah, and, and one thing that uh, the strategy wiki also said is that um, if you have 10 or more power chips, those sarts will not appear, and instead you'll get what are called item carriers, um, or also known as cargo. And so it's a little ship that comes down on the screen in the same way as the sart, uh, but they'll be carrying the power-up icons. And so... Uh, You'll see one come down on screen. It'll have a particular power-up, and they always appear in order. So if, uh, and this was something that you clued me into, uh, Duke, was that when they come on screen, whatever the whatever the power-up is uh, for one that comes on screen, the next one will always be the next number in sequence. So if a number five comes down, then the next item carrier that comes down will be a number six, and then the one after that will be the number seven, and then the one after that will be the zero, etc. And so it, it kind of works in that uh, in that fashion where uh, they come down on screen, they stay there for a, a second, second and a half, and then they fly away. And so if you don't shoot it down while it's on screen, then it just goes away, and and you have to wait for you know whatever the next power up is that you want. I didn't realize they came down in order like that. That's going to be very useful in in playthroughs from now on. Oh, wow. Okay. I just thought, I mean, 
Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the great thing. That's why sometimes I'm always like, oh, here's the six. Now I'm just going to... And I'll stop trying to do certain things because I don't want to accidentally hit it where it's way too high up for me to catch right. it. Yeah. And so I'll just kind of stop I, from... I'll fire only straight up the middle of the screen. And, okay, there it is now. Let me go over and hit it while I can actually get it. Yeah, I didn't realize that that totally would... I would adapt the same way and, and try and collect certain power-ups. That's... That's nice to know now. <laughs> now, well, you're going to have an easier time with it. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Addicted, would you like to tell us about Duran Duran's favorite power-up? <laughs> All right. Well, Duran Duran's favorite power-up in this game would be Rio. This is a fairy that can be obtained by shooting specific ground boxes or installations. When collected, it will clear the screen like the smart bomb and then travel with you until the next boss encounter, at which point it will destroy the boss and leave. Just like the power-ups or the fairies in Raiden. Uh, these yeah. are great when you can find them. I mean, if you memorize where they're at. Yeah, I want to say there's one in level three. Um, yeah. Either or three four. or four. Maybe four, it's four. I think. I think it's four. There's a few of them that are in the game. Yeah, I've got them later, too. I don't remember where any of them are specifically, but stage eight or nine, I've got to end bosses with them, and, and they clear them really quick and easy. And I like that when they come on the screen, they're blue, and until you touch them, they're not activated, so you can keep them on the screen for a harder boss later in the level if you want to. Didn't realize that either. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to use them right away. Just wait. Ah. <laughs> huh. Because a lot of times, you know, you've got like two or three bosses in a level, and the last ones are yeah. always the really tough ones. So just keep it on the screen until you really need it, and then use it on that one, and bam, away you go. When you die, do you lose them? It though? doesn't fly off the screen. Oh, no. nice. I, yeah, that changes everything. It again. does change everything, because <laughs> now I don't have to struggle against the, the stage four end boss, which is such a... <laughs> it's rough. That one's really oh, rough. Oh, it's so terrible. That's very tough, boss. Um, yeah, and I found one, like you're talking, Krabby, later, I think it was probably like seven or eight or something. It's one where you've got one of those sub-bosses. You're fighting it, and it's circling, and you have to yeah. circle it, and there'll be all these buildings on the ground. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. And then one of them releases the fairy on the right. Huh. And I'm sure you could go online, it would tell you oh, where yeah. they're all yep. at, but, you know. I know the spot you're talking yeah. about, totally. Uh, because it shoots all, it's the sub boss that shoots uh, the bullets in all directions. Yeah. Uh -huh. Her name is Rio. And, okay, I'm going to have that song stuck <laughs> in my head all night. Uh, that was kind of the point. Uh huh. Yeah, that's good. Um, the people that are young will have no clue what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Talk, speaking of things moving around the screen, we have the landers. We spoke earlier of the blue lander which is a standard one-up, and it's a blue smiley face icon. I'm not sure what it is about these games and smiley face icons as power-ups, but here we go. <laughs> the landers are in a lot of compile games. Yeah. <clears throat> Just like fairies are in a lot of riding games. Makes sense. Yep. The landers also make the really iconic sound to them, too. I, I love hearing dun, that. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah. And you see them a lot like when you play Guardian Legend. They're like the things that talk to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd completely forgotten about that. All right. The recurring themes. There you go. There we go. 
If you shoot a blue lander, it becomes a red lander. On top of granting an extra ship, the red lander also increases your rate of fire for your primary weapon. It doesn't change how many shots can be on the screen at once, but for close quarters combats, it means that your shots are going to fire a lot quicker. I never could turn a blue lander into a red lander in this game. I'll have to keep at it. You can, and the nice thing is when you turn a blue lander into a red lander, instead of moving off the screen up, it moves down. Oh, yeah. So then that helps. <laughs> See, I didn't even know that it moved down. Probably mm-hmm. because uh, when I couldn't get to a blue lander to shoot it, it would always go off screen. But, oh, that... Just that's... shoot it like crazy. Yeah, and it'll come down. Huh. It's fun if you get the max uh, weapon six off and you just go left and right blasting them. You'll get a bunch of red landers out of it. It's, it's great. Oh, cool. See, now we've done this and you've played the game for a whole month. Now you're going to want to go back and play it and be like, I've, I've learned all this stuff. I, gotta play I know. I, I do right now just because I know those <laughs> weapon boxes are in sequence now. <laughs> yeah, that's how, you, that's how you can always make sure you top off. That's how I always top off my uh, number seven. Yep. Nice. You'll 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 never run out if you if you can keep yourself alive uh, and you know that they're coming down in order. You'll always be able to get topped off. Yeah, I love it. Love it. I know. I, I know. What game Krabby's beaten soon for the NES challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought someone else. I thought one of you guys was gonna totally take it down. Well, I kind of did. So I kind of backed off after my play. <laughs> I we'll was talk hoping about that too, later. but it it just wasn't happening. Tough game. Yeah, it's very tough. All right, next we're moving on to our favorite Zelda enemy of the game, also known as II. These ground installations slash buildings look sort of like a face. When shot enough times, they'll grant your ship a fully powered primary weapon and power up your sub weapon by one level. However, if you haven't fully updated your primary shots by the time you get this upgrade, and, and you collect a power chip, you'll revert back to the level you were before. You can milk the I.I. for score if you continue to shoot it after receiving the upgrade. It's always the trick, right? Is when you get this thing is now it's power chip dodge them. Because like when you get it in level three or whatever it is, that's also the level like right after that where they just start raining power chips down on you. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, please, I gotta dodge all these things. Yeah, that that's that's the part that is difficult to to navigate and of course by that point when they when they rain all those chips down at you um, if you've had a if you're out at a decent level prior to you know getting the II you you can basically work your way back up to where you were before with the number of chips because between the subsequent spot with all those boxes and then the excess of boxes that come down during the boss fight, it's its not that difficult to work your way back up to the super gun primary weapon again. But yeah, you're right. Dodge them up is a good way to, to say it because it's, uh, you know, you want to stay at that power level as long as you can. It's kind of a way that the, the developer, like, they've just said, like, Oh, you think you're cool, do you? Okay, here, try this. You know, because it's like, it gives you the power-up, and then it's like, okay, here it comes. Yes. I really like that. Yeah, there's there's always a, there's always a balance 
Uh, you get the number seven weapon, but you're still vulnerable on the sides. You know, you you get the super gun uh, from the II, but don't collect any more chips, or you don't have it anymore. You know, there's always a there's always a, a counter to to all this stuff. Yeah, it's fun. I think it's well done. Um, I don't mind challenge, and sometimes I even like it more when the developers are kind of like winking at you, like, ha-ha, gotcha, you know? <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever do that, but like, it just reminds me like when I play some of these Dark Souls games and things, like, there'll be things that'll catch me, and I'm like, okay, I see what you did there. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I've... Uh... I've also been playing the uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild on Master Mode, and uh, of course the enemies in that are are harder, and they all go up by a level, and so the lowest level enemies are now the second level enemies, and so on and so forth. And there are some enemies that the way they attack and how they move is somewhat tricky, and so uh, there are times when I will be anticipating an attack and they'll do something different and I won't realize <laughs> that uh, oh, you're changing up the the attack pattern and uh, anticipating the fact that I'm standing there with my shield ready to block your attack <laughs> uh, and so you're you're uh, flipping the script on me and, and uh, so even in those moments when I have to quickly pause the game and eat food to uh, restore my health or, or you know, move around. Or even when I die, sometimes it's like, oh, tricky. <laughs> I always kind of like it when they subvert your expectations in a game. Yeah. All right, moving on, we have the Terrier. It does sound like a, it's not shaped like the dog. But it's actually the box on the ground that you shoot to make the real slash fairy appear. And a lot of times there's a bunch of them, so you've got to know which one gives you the fairy. Got to know oh. your carrier. That's right. <laughs> so the one in level three is a teaser that makes you think, oh yeah, I shoot the box and I get uh-huh. this fairy. And then in the later levels... It's so like, right- oh, you thought you figured it out, did you? So we're right back to subverting expectations. <laughs> yeah, they do a really good job of that. Uh, this game loves to rickroll you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it to them. I think that's a job well done. You've made a good game when, when you know, that takes work. That's not just, I'm going to throw crap at you and see if you die. It's, I'm going to show you something and teach you something. And then later on, I'm going to go, oh, you thought you learned that, didn't you? Well, maybe not, right? And I think that's a sign of good craftsmanship. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it, it, this game definitely keeps you on your toes like 1942, but doesn't give you that random number generated in frustration. <laughs> is, is that and, uh, something tagline we could use? Random number generation frustration? <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Something yeah. like that. It, it does feel, at times, it does feel like there's a lot of RNG at work. But when you look at it from the standpoint that, you know, subverting expectations, but then also that adaptive difficulty where the game changes based on what weapon you have. And so, 
and then also based on how often you're firing and all of that stuff. So there is a way to, uh, I guess I could say, train the game or direct the game uh, certain ways. It's not going to be the same experience every time necessarily because, you know, unless you, unless you know that I... I'm only going to fire one bullet here, and then I'm going to use this sub-weapon and, and hold down the button for two seconds here. And I mean, unless you map it out in kind of a tool-assisted sort of fashion to, to be able to try and cheese the game into the exact same pattern and layout every time, it's going to be a little bit different because you're going to move on the screen here or, you know, you're going to shoot a little too long here or not enough over here. And then there will be different bullets to dodge. And and so <clears throat> it, uh, it, it is a, a good way of, of changing the experience up so that it's at least a little bit fresh every time. Well, I think, you know, if you think about this in 1986, you know, this is, you know, a big leap from most shooters of that time, which were rote and always the same experience. And you buy the game and once you can clear it, you've got it memorized. You're good. You're done. And this gives you a, you know, a very different experience for that time. So pretty revolutionary for when it came out. Yeah. And. Uh, one of the things that I've just got a note here on the outline is is that, uh, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but enemy bullets can be destroyed for points. So if you have the number two, the number three, uh, the number seven, or like even the, the zero when it's fully powered up and you can take out bullets, bullets are worth points. I think the standard round bullets are 50 points and the kind of glowing spinning rice uh, you know, deals that come at you, those are a hundred points, I think. Uh, so, uh, you know, the number six, when you've got a, a swarm of bullets and enemies on the screen, you know, activate one of those and all that stuff is points. So it's, uh, it's a, a good way to also factor in scoring as well. Yeah. And when I played NES games back then and always, I was always like, I want to beat the game, which means get to the ending screen. And like the idea of playing games for points was like an old, like a old idea, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting for me this month when I'm playing this game, like, okay, let me try to get points instead and change the way you play. Yeah. And, and see, that's one of the things that's been interesting about doing the Shmup Club is that I, I have always been of the same mind because I grew up in the NES era and I would always try to beat the game uh, and so you know the idea of a one credit clear kind of came about not back in the day when I played those things you know because I would always just play the game and try to beat it but if I if I managed to do it on a single credit it was for me, it was just a, an accomplishment and not so much my aim. I just wanted to see the end of the game. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea of play, actually playing for score uh, is something that's come about with the Shmup Club because, of course, we're, we're looking at scores, we're sharing scores, and so that is a... that's an element that, that I never really paid that much attention to in the past. Um... So for me, it uh, 
as I'm as we're playing through these games every month, I find myself playing, trying to play to both goals at at the same time to get a score as good as I can, and also to clear the game in a single credit. And I think in in some ways that works to my detriment because trying to play for score means generally you have to be a little bit more aggressive, um, or you have to learn the strategies of the games that open up the scoring for you. <laughs> Got to use weapon two the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can find enough uh, refills. But uh, in order to do that, I sometimes I feel like I sacrifice my ability to clear a game by the end of the month because I'm also playing for score. And so I'm trying to be a little bit more aggressive and I'm, I'm doing some of the things that, that will make a game harder but I'm making it harder because I'm the one who's who's playing it in such a manner that I'm trying to maximize my score rather than just avoid stuff when I can and uh, you know just to survive yeah I'm, I'm curious what do you guys what do the rest of you guys think I mean when you're playing something like this uh, if nobody was paying attention and like here's my score versus your score would you care or are you just trying to beat it or how do you guys do it I'm always just a beat it for everything. Score is really not a priority unless I'm having like some kind of just fun little rivalry with someone. For me, I will try and probably credit feed my way through for the most part to get an idea of how the game goes and see the ending. But if I'm going to be playing something seriously, I look at schmucks the same way I look at pinball machines. I'm going to learn the ins and outs of it and try and get a one credit clear even though if it's not impossible like in this game i want to learn the machine and learn how the mechanics are and be able to anticipate go through stuff that's why i love the thunder force series so much is because it's something that you could really go shallow in but you could also go very in depth to in order to i guess it's the same way that you love the dark souls series you can get through by sort of cheesing your way by leveling, or you could really learn the mechanics and, well, for lack of a better word, get good. (laughs) (laughs) And you, or you could really milk the dodge frames. It's really interesting. And there are very different ways of looking at a shmup, but I really love the pinball analogy. I think it works really well for my approach at least. Oh, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's just different approaches. And, you know, again, I like having played most gaming in the NES era, it was always about just getting to that ending screen and going, yep, I beat it. And uh, scoring was always like an older thought pattern to me. Like, oh, this is what you did in the arcade back before when games never ended, <laughs> right? And that's when you cared about a score, but... Uh, it's kind of it's kind of neat to to give it another shot in a different way. I, I loved your Dark Souls analogy because I could never figure out the parry <laughs> in that game, and so the last boss I got him. I played him so many times trying to kill him, and he eventually got stuck on some rocks <laughs> in the place, and I could just hit him without him hitting. Oh, <laughs> that's how I finished Dark Souls. Oh, <laughs> what what a rip off! You got cheated. Yeah. I saw the credits roll. I got they got an ending. <laughs> you got you cheated yourself. It's a great fight. Learn to parry. He goes down like a punk. 
it's too much work. <laughs> it's the same guy. I remember we talked about Bloodborne and, and like didn't parry like once. Yeah. Like that game is all about parries. Anyway, we're going to get off track. Yeah. That's too much work. <laughs> I'll just shoot things in Xanax. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I mean, you know, it, it's interesting how as, as more and more games uh, moved away from scoring as a primary mechanic because they can be designed in such a way where the goal is to complete the game. Uh, you know, I mean, think about even like Mega Man. You know, the first Mega Man game had score. Uh, it didn't really serve any purpose. Uh, as far as I know, you don't earn any extra lives by getting nope. certain points or things like that. You know, it's just there arbitrarily. And the worst part about Mega Man 1 and its score is that you can run it up as high as you want very easily because there's no timer on stages. And these respawn yeah, enemies, yep. yeah. The bosses all have random totals assigned. Yeah, it's to a them. piece of cake if you, wanted to, if you wanted to do that for some reason, you could. I just don't know why. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting that, you know, of course, with the second game and forward, there's no score. But it's interesting to see how. As, as games shifted toward self-contained experiences that were all about get from point A, as in level one, to point B, as in the final boss and beating it, to where, you know, shoot-em-ups evolved from forever looping games that you could just rack up points and, and points and points and points, at, depending on how good you were and how long you could survive, to there's a set number of enemies and levels and things to shoot at. Uh, and so in order to maximize your score in a game like that, you know, you have to learn how to play the game in such a way that, that you can hit all the enemies or that you can score the most points from enemies by using certain techniques and things. And so it's a, it's an interesting paradigm shift with, in this genre, uh, that, I think will be a fun contrast to see from Xanak to the game that we're playing this month and that we'll be talking about on next month's podcast is, um, you know, how, how that paradigm shift is, is kind of been seen across, you know, 20, 30 years of game design and uh, how that plays out. And it's even reflects itself, even like in the endings of games. Cause like, at the ending of Xanak, you're going to get the ending screen, but also your score is there, right? So you can like, oh, hey, I cleared it. Here's the score I got as well. And you could show somebody that. Whereas a game like Mega Man, there is a score. But at the end of the game, you don't see the score. You just get an ending thing. Yeah. Yep. I believe that the score in Mega Man was left in for the, maybe for the Wizard 2. Be something and say, Jimmy got over 9,000 <laughs> in Mega Man. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, yeah, the power glove. It'll be the U-Force this time. Jimmy got over 9,000 using the U-Force. It's so bad. Oh, my goodness. Have it custom built into, like, a briefcase. Open it up and have the U-Force. they got to have it come up with smoke elements. you got to have the 80s smoke elements coming out of it. Uh, I got a power glove for Christmas one year. So, you know, hey, I've got no room to talk. <laughs> California. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, oh, you know what's sort of interesting to see. Uh, speaking of scoring elements, real quick, is I know that it's a hot thing right now, but Devil Engines. 
I was really surprised to see that gives a lifetime score for that. Meaning that all your games add up? Oh yeah, it, add, it gives you a score for your run, and then it gives you a score for all of your runs. Interesting. Does that mean anything? I mean, other than like you've played this game a whole lot? Because you could suck. As long as you played it a lot, you get a lot of points. Well, that's the <laughs> idea of the game is that each time you play, you get one credit to continue with. And in fact, the very first time you uh, <clears throat> use up all your three lives, it unlocks easy mode. So I, I think there are lots of different nods in, in that game. If you hadn't have a chance to try it, I definitely would recommend it. And there, it's about 20 bucks on the Switch right now. They, it's not coming to the PS4 just yet, but if you got a Switch, look it up. You'll definitely have a lot of fun. And it reminds me a lot of uh, the Thunder Force series. I do not have a Switch yet, so... You can get it on Steam. I don't have a PC either. All right, then. we got to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will get a Switch before I will get a PC, so don't worry. It's got to play Octopath Traveler. With there you me. go. I take that back. I think I've got a Pentium 3 machine in center somewhere around here, but anyway. Huh. We can play some Warcraft 1. <laughs> be fine. Find something to play for score. Yeah, I've just never been a big score person. I mean, playing some of these games with you guys on this, and the few that I've done, is about the only time I think I ever really paid that much attention. Besides, like, back in the, like, Atari days, because that's all you could do, right? That's all you could do is play for score. Or or in the arcades, you could put your initials in, right? Yeah, like half the people put an ASS or something like that in there. Of course, which reminds me, like, today, like, I... Again, it's a tangent, so we might have to shut this thing down and we'll be here all night. But, um, like, I was... I did a recap on a Coleco Atom, and so I'm going to test it out. And it, the game it comes with is this Buck Rogers game, which is it's not wonderful. But anyway, it's really weird to load this game out from tape. But um, it's really weird. When you die, if your score is high enough, it takes you to a screen where you can put your, in, uh, your name in, and it saves it to tape. But it like takes so long to load that screen <laughs> that we can actually put your name in. I had never realized it. I'd always just turned it off because I thought it was done. And I was just wanted to make sure this thing was running okay and I hadn't messed anything up. So I let it sit there for a long time and it finally comes up. It's like, oh, look at this. And there's all these initials and names of people from probably like, you know, 30 something years ago that were still on this tape. So anyway, sorry. That's awesome. <laughs> Sounds that like cool. the uh, old school equivalent of writing your name in Sharpie on the back of an NES cart. <laughs> Kinda. I'm looking for the... What What month are we doing Buck Rogers' Planet of Zoom on Coleco Adam for the Shmup Club? <laughs> uh, we'll get back to you on that. It's Christmas present to do. <laughs> I'll be the only player. Guaranteed high score. <laughs> if you could wait that long. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's kind of transition here and and talk about the uh, the graphics in the game. Yeah, I think that the graphics overall definitely show its MSX roots, especially based upon some of the color choices in the game. Yeah, I would tend to say that a lot of the color scheme of the game at times can be very garish. Very primary colors, kind of a lot of times, right? <laughs> It's fine. You're like, here, here's the green level. Here's the red <laughs> yep. level. Here's the space level. <laughs> oh, another green one. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it was it was difficult, uh, like at the beginning of level two, where it's a lot of blue in the background, and then you have those blue enemies that come in from the sides and then try to close in on you, and so you had the level would usually start out with a couple of those, uh, and so you could easily get caught by those if you didn't see them. Uh, and there's other spots, too, where some enemies or some bullets will blend into the backgrounds because they're they're just either the wrong color uh, or they're just so busy. Because there are some spots, uh, like in level two again, where the background moves so fast that it, it can be a little bit disorienting. Yeah, I, I didn't have a too much of an issue identifying things because of their color but like you said it, it there's a lot going on it's moving really fast so there are times where i'd get just get disoriented and overwhelmed yeah i've got a lot of nostalgia for the game so i really like the way it looks but um i mean from a perspective of okay technology and how far things came later on with the nes it's just pretty basic yeah one thing that uh, i thought was odd was the you know, the game is using this kind of serious tone with this whole computer system kind of thing that's ruling the the world or whatever, and and most of the enemies are spaceships, uh, robotic creatures or robotic elements of some kind, and that sort of thing. But then you have things like the Blue Landers, or you have the I.I., and the smiley face buildings that you can shoot to get the the smart bombs and things. And it's just weird, the occasional sort of cutesy elements that would pop up in this game against the backdrop of everything else that's very serious. So I don't know if, you know, if that was intentional. Like you're saying, Duke, another kind of wink and a nod from the, from the development team that, uh, you know, they... They're giving you a serious game, but they're not taking themselves entirely seriously, and so it's a little bit of a, I don't know, comic relief or something, but I just thought it was an odd choice. The lander thing doesn't surprise me too much because it's kind of like a, almost like a mascot to a certain degree, but um, the rest of it, I think that's kind of, that's that idea, like, you know, they like to have some fun in some of their games. I think you see that in their catalog. I mean, it's not... They're still going to be a pretty solid game, but, eh, you know, they're just trying to have a little fun. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, you know, when they put out Gun Knack years later, uh, a year or two or whatever it was, three years later... It's like the opposite, where it's like all cutesy, and then you're like, wait, there's something really serious in here now that's out <laughs> yeah. of place. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of funny to think about it in that in that sense is, uh, you know, they, they, they flip the script, and where Xanak is, is all AI, and everything is adaptive difficulty and changes based on the weapons, uh, Gunnak, at least from what little experience I have, seems to be fairly... Well, you said it before, Duke wrote, you know, it's very scripted and, you know, a lot of the enemy patterns and everything, I think, is probably more consistent um, from one playthrough to the next. I think that that's just it just shows you the 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 evolution of what was popular in those that genre for a while, because early 80s was very dominated by games like Xevious 
and how huge that was and made a really big impression on how these games kind of should be laid out. And then later in the late 80s and the 90s, we started getting the cute em ups, which were a lot of cute em ups, Parodius and, and some of these other games. And everybody was making those for a while, and that was a big thing. And Zanuck does feel like a really amazing version of Z. Exactly. And it was made in 86, so not too far after yeah. all of that. And there's also a precedent for just weird things and otherwise serious games. I mean, look at Evil Auto and Berserk. Yeah, weird, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other... Ex- well, Sinistar is just, well, menacing at all times. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, and it's just it's Japan, right? I mean, they have this playfulness yeah. sometimes that they like to put in things. True. I mean, we did, we did see in... Uh, you know, 1942, the Yashichi, uh, which is, uh, you know, d- completely out of place. Yeah, our um, games like games like Pocky and Rocky. You know what I mean? I mean, it's <laughs> just sometimes the Japanese just have a flair for the inventive, and uh, it's it's fun. Yep. Uh, anything else on the graphics that you guys uh, want to touch on? I don't think so. Yeah, I got it out. Uh, so now, what about the sound? You guys both probably have more experience with this game than either Addicted or myself. Um, you know, when I was playing through and streaming for the month, I found the music to be competent and catchy enough, but not um, not something that I would listen to outside of the game. Although, I did find myself... Uh, humming the first level tune a couple of times just because of how many, uh, you know, hundreds of times I heard it. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually pretty surprised by that. I, I've been jamming the soundtrack all week after I booted it up again. I love the sound in this game. I agree completely. I love the soundtrack and give the Famicom Disk System version a, a spin if you want some slight changes. Not much, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's a great soundtrack. Huh. Yeah, I've been listening to the title screen on loop for like hours at a time, and I gotta like learn that on my guitar. It's it sounds awesome. Yeah, and some of the later level music is really good. The ending music is really good. I mean, I yeah, and you know, again, the Famicom Disk System version is slightly different, but it's really about the same idea. So they didn't lose much in the transition to cart, um, having started as a disk system game. Um, but you know, hey, again, it's just a little something else to check out if you if you like the tunes. Sure. Well, you know, give a guy some credit. As someone who hasn't seen past level six, you know, <laughs> some of the later level tunes that you think are so good, I haven't even heard yet. So there's a sound test in the game. You could check it out. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> I suppose I could. Well, I'll be I'll be hearing them for uh, you know editing the podcast and putting background music in. So. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure I'll uh, I'll get a, a flavor for it. Mm-hmm. What about you, Addicted? What did you think of the the sound of the music? You know, I ended up getting the soundtrack for Zanuck Neo stuck in my head. Not so much oh, yeah. the other one, but yeah, Zanuck Neo. That's good too. It's really good. I would re- highly recommend you listen to that soundtrack, or at least give Zanuck Neo a try. It's a really good game. Maybe at some point in time, you can maybe do a focused month on that or if you ever want to get back to Xanak maybe you won't <laughs> but, 
it, it's a really good game. I would um, go for a Zanuck Neo on the month on here because I know it's definitely hard for a lot of people. Most of the people were split into the original Zanuck on the NES for that one. We we could do uh, a revival maybe for a anniversary of sorts. You guys have years to go. Don't worry. Whenever you get to it. The comeback tour. <laughs> Just make sure it's within enough time where our PS3s actually still work. Oh, gee. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, so I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about just kind of order, overall impressions of the game uh, from each of us and then uh, we'll kind of move into some thoughts from the community well, who's going to start us up well, I'll start out and I thought this game was a fully realized 1942 for me it was something that gave enough variety and just had the right amount of frustration where I didn't feel like the game was being totally unfair in the way that it was going. <clears throat> you could recover from if you got hit, even though you could definitely have lost a lot of lives in the process. <clears throat> but overall, it's one of those things that I kept wanting to come back to going, I know I can do a little bit better. And the soundtrack, for at least for Zanuck Neal, for me, was great. And it wasn't overly I, I, the aesthetics were definitely PS1 for Zanuck Neo but I, I really liked the way that it played. I didn't have as much time as I would have liked to play the NES port as the original Zanuck or the FDS but I definitely still like it and wanted to give a shot over to the MSX version and give that a shot but I have to track down the MSX first. Good luck on that one. Hope you got deep pockets. <laughs> I got a mister, so I'm going to give it a shot. Oh, well, there you go. That I've heard that thing is fun to configure. Is it that much fun? It's as much fun to configure so far as, well, installing Windows? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun at all. <laughs> no, but at least with the stuff it can do. I mean, I have never seen Apple II graphics look as sharp. It does a great job on doing computer stuff. I mean, 2600 looks razor sharp. It's a great little system, but it is a hobbyist project. So you're going to be doing a lot of configuration, a lot of looking for adapters, and a lot of buying parts that instantly sell out as soon as people post them for sale. I'll stick with OG hardware, but I like hearing about other people using things. I could jump in. I mean, I've got a ton of nostalgia for this game. I played it a lot back in the NES era. I didn't have it. But um, I don't know. I can't remember maybe if one of my friends had it or I just rented it a lot. Whatever way it was, I played it quite a bit. And um, it was just always one of those shooters that kept drawing me back. Um, a lot of the other ones I didn't care as much for. Um, uh, but I did really like later on Guardian Legend. Um, again, by Compile. Um, same group, but you know, like Star Soldier and some of the other ones, I was kind of like, eh, you know, I've played these kind of games. They're not really my sort of thing. But this one, for some reason, with all the variety and everything that it had, it really kind of caught fire. And I was like, okay, this is a really good one. I enjoy coming back to it. Um, even if it can be eh, pretty tough at times, that's for sure. Um, I feel like when you get on a roll, though, if you get on a roll, you can steamroll for a while. Um, and that's like earlier, Addict, I think you were talking about like trying to get a one-credit clear. I would think if you're going to clear this game, 
you're probably more likely to do it that way than the other way because continuing with nothing and just a few lives on a later level that's gonna be pretty tough um, i guess you could probably bully your way through it but um, i think sometimes if you get on a roll with the right weapons you can really go pretty far especially if you don't mind taking some warps from time to time and saving yourself all the trouble it's a, it's pretty cool yeah it, it definitely doesn't i mean it I could see what you're talking about with the, as soon as you get fully powered full up in the Gradia series, you feel invincible and you get that sense of empowerment and power fantasy, wish fulfillment, <clears throat> but it doesn't quite hit the point where you get destroyed once in a Gradius game. You're like, well, okay, there's the game. I'm done. <laughs> That's true. A lot of those times you're just like reset. Yeah. One thing we actually didn't mention yet that I think this game does really well is, is when you start the game the speed that you can control your ship is mm-hmm. perfect and gradius that's always the first thing i gotta deal with is i gotta upgrade that speed because i cannot dodge anything um so i i just i love that that you don't have to worry about that kind of power up it's all just i agree it's, and you don't have is, you don't have the other way either where you can you can speed up too much you know yeah, yeah, that's also a problem. Yeah, no, this one's hit that sweet spot for me. Yeah, I felt like perfectly in control at all times, and that part, the mechanics felt good, and that's really important to me in a game. It has to control well, because everything else then is up to me. But when I feel like the control is garbage, I don't even want to try. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm sitting here listening to you guys, and we're having this discussion, and I love this. Because the last time I played this, I streamed this on the 28th. And, of course, that was the last day uh, for the Shmup Club. And the night before, I had hit my uh, 1.5 million point goal that I set for myself. Once I knew that my primary goal of getting a 1cc was a pipe dream within the 28 days of February, I set myself a... A secondary goal of one and a half million points because I saw the way that I was progressing in terms of score and I thought, yeah, I can probably hit this by the end of the month. And I hit it on stream. And so when I was playing it on the 28th, uh, <clears throat> I was not having as good a night and I was very frustrated with the game um, because I just kept, I kept playing uh, very poorly. Um, or I felt like I should be playing better because I had been playing it all month and had progressed to a point where I felt like, you know, I should I should have better results or see better results at that point for the first three four levels or what have you, um, as as opposed to where I was at. But listening to this discussion and and you know kind of digging into the game from a more of a looking at the design standpoint versus just I'm playing the game and I'm reacting to things on screen as it's happening and trying to learn from that and then go back to that with with new information you know the next time I play some of the things that we've been discussing here make me think that that I haven't been looking at the game in in full context you know I haven't been Remembering that, yeah, this came out in 1986 and uh, was pretty far ahead of its time in a lot of ways uh, in context with other shooters that were coming out around it. 
Uh, you know, Duke, you mentioned Star Force and uh, Star Soldier or whatever it was, and and some of the other games coming around in that time. Uh, this was pretty forward thinking with the variety of power ups, the adaptive difficulty. And, you know, just everything that it brings to the table. And so part of me feels like maybe I've given this game uh, short shrift unnecessarily just because of my own frustrations with it. Um, so it's uh, it's good to get these perspectives because uh, I, I like hearing that maybe my own experience with this game has been limiting only because I've been limiting myself or because you know I haven't been looking at this game through any eyes but my own just gotta get off that weapon three yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and, and you know and I would I would encourage it too I mean from me watching you stream a lot of this stuff over and over I picked up on things I hadn't seen because I was able to watch parts of the game that I normally couldn't and Maybe if you took the time to watch even your own streams or something, I think it gives you an opportunity to say, oh, I'm so focused on this stuff over here, I'm missing this, or I can watch for this next time because I'll be ready for it. Where when you're in it all the time, it's really hard to pick that stuff up. Yeah, and and I think watching some other streams or other playthroughs and that sort of thing would be good as well. Uh, you know, I know I tried to do that with our R-Type stream, and I tried to use that to help route the game, uh, because that game is very specific about, you know, there are, there are areas of the game at certain times that are safe or safer, um, and there are certain places that you want to be and certain weapons that you want to have at different times in order to have the best chance of survival. Um, and so, you know, those are the kinds of things that I think going forward, I should really try and look toward other people who are more skilled than I am, or just just looking for other perspectives on some of these things so that I can get a better handle on it, I think will, will help me in the future. So, you know, I, I, I came away from my last play, my last stream of the game, frustrated and glad that the month was over because... I can put this game down and not feel pressured to come back to it. But now that you know, now that I've heard about a couple of things in the in the game that you guys were talking about earlier, you know, part of me is thinking, well, maybe I should uh, you know carve out a little time off stream to to practice this game a little bit more and you know go back to it at some point. <laughs> so pretty full plate but maybe when you get a little distance and are ready to come back to it you'll have some fun yeah and definitely fire up Zanuck Neo it's definitely worth yeah it. yeah I uh, I was hoping to get a chance to do that today before we recorded but I didn't so another day definitely alright now we've given our impressions let's uh, give a little thoughts from the RF Gen community we have Cervez2 saying, oh man, you guys are in trouble. <laughs> I score right here. LOL. I love this game. My friend up the street had this game and I played it a lot. Later post, at the beginning, before you shoot the blue boxes that give you the white pellets, or uh, yellow pellets in Zanuck Neo, 
that give you the guns with more bullets just fly directly into the middle one and it will automatically give you three bullets but remember don't shoot it first usually usually <laughs> usually <laughs> yeah <laughs> apparently i still haven't seen that oh go go watch a few stress <laughs> i know I, I watched it in front of my face usually it's right but yeah yeah go, go watch a couple of my streams and you'll see me uh you'll see me die careening into boxes <laughs> i will have to check that out that's too funny <laughs> It's funny to hear, I, but it's the same thing. And like I'm watching, and you listen to this, like, dang, attack on it, no, you know. And it's the same thing I do. To, yeah, everybody does that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you just feel it. You feel for somebody. You're like, yep, I know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Easy racer. Early in the thread, he uh, he says, got on a decent run earlier and broke 300k, making it to area three. What really helped was watching Metal Fro's stream and ask a few questions on the live chat to better understand the mechanics of the game. Big thank you to him. Well, thank you, Easy Racer. Uh, he says, Gotta say, the more I play this, the more I like it, but it definitely seems geared towards no deaths with losing all your power-ups. Maybe it's just me, but when I die, I get two or three more deaths compounded on it before I can get back in a rhythm, provided I still have any lives left. And uh, no, it's not just you, Easy Racer. <laughs> uh, and then in a later, a later thread, uh, he says, Never really could get good enough to get a solid score to post. I'm glad I got this and started playing it, but more for the fact I can see where the development of some other compile shooters like Gunnack and Guardian Legend got their influence. I mentioned it on one of Metal Fro's streams, but it's hard to make consistent progress. In all my attempts, I never got a sense of being able to build on what I had learned from previous attempts. Especially with the harder games, you need that sense of slow accomplishment, and I never got that with this game. While the AI setup in Xanak was initially interesting, it also took away the sense of being pulled in to keep playing and just get a little farther because it always was a bit of a crapshoot in just how far I would get on any given run. Xanak is one, to me, worth looking at from a game history perspective in that you can see how it influenced the genre, especially with its own company. That said, it's probably not one I'll visit often in the future. That's very odd, because that's almost like my exact sentiments on 1942. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you on that one. Yes. Yeah, I'm there too. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I, I felt a little bit like him, you know, on the 28th on my final stream. Like, I'm just not making any more progress. Um, you know, but... It's like everything else in life. There's always more to learn. So you just got to have that perspective. And I, I have to say that this is one of those games where <clears throat> Thunder Force, it's punishing, or Lightning Force, I should say. But it's punishing, but you can get a feel for it in the same way with our type But with this, there's a lot more to learn about it. It, there's a lot more variety in it, and that could make it very intimidating for someone who's trying to learn the ropes of the game. I know it at least did it for me when I started this game. See, that's funny. When I look at Xanak, I think this is so much easier than something like Lightning Force or... I was just going to say, I didn't finish Thunder Force when we played it. It was yeah. too hard for me. Xanak, I don't have an issue with like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally in that camp. 
it, it's interesting how how people click with certain games or with certain play styles like that to where you know some stuff just really you know you really get in the zone and you can get there and then with other games it's yeah. uh uh you know you feel like you're just hitting a wall all the time i think that's cool but yeah, that's great that there's but that's why you're doing this, right? Play a lot of different games, different places, different systems. Some things you're going to love, some things you won't love as much. And we're all waiting for Truxton. <laughs> oh, uh, Tatsujin. We'll I'll take it this. either way. <clears throat> all right, we've got a comment here from Pam. This game is hard. I have even got a score I'm willing to post. <laughs> she should have posted a score. Yeah, I th- I think that's pulling a Dougley. You know, du- uh, even if you even if you, even if you are suck at the game, if your score is one, post it because I guarantee you there are games where I I will my score may be one or two. There will be games where I, I just want to, but. The, uh, the whole idea of the whole thing is that you had fun. And if you had fun, that's all that matters to us. Yeah. And really, the, the score thing is, it's not so much for bragging rights. It's more of a way to track your own progress. And then also compare and contrast. You know, if you if you say, oh yeah, I reached level two and I have 100,000. And someone else says, oh yeah, I reached level two and I have... 250,000, you can go, whoa, how did you do that? And then that will spark conversation of, oh yeah, I used this strategy or I went after this power-up and and then I took out these enemies and or there's a secret over here where you can get all these extra points and and you know, things like that that help spark conversation and and help to, you know, just get people talking about the game. Uh, you know, I've been... I mean, you know, we make the joke of pulling a Dugley. I mean, I've been trying to be encouraging to <laughs> Dugley 007 because he has he has been somewhat self-deprecating in the, in the shmup club threads saying, you know, well, maybe eventually I'll get good at one of these games. And it's like, you know... There's no shame in in playing a game and and dying a lot and not doing well. You know, I'm I'm hard on myself. I mean, I'm my own harshest critic. So when I play these things on stream and I die a bunch, uh, you know, you guys can see if you watch the streams. You know, I'm I'm uh, man, man, I'm playing like hot garbage and you know <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Or or uh, you know, e- Easy Racer wanted me to mention one time uh, early in the month when I was playing Xanak, and I was noticing that the game was uh, was quite difficult. I think it was probably right when I first started and I was playing and I was getting the number two weapon. <laughs> um, and so, of course, everything was being thrown at me. And <clears throat> there was one time that I was... I was going along and I got the number two and either I just ran out of, of energy for it or... Uh, I happened to move up uh, up on the screen just a little bit too much to get caught by a stray bullet or something like that, and I got frustrated and I said, this game is just unmerciful! <laughs> 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 Which he thought was hilarious. But, uh, you know, stuff like that. But, but really, you know, it doesn't matter how low your score is or how ashamed of, of that you might be. Share it, you know. Uh, put it out there. Because then, 
it in a way you can you can look at that and challenge yourself to say I can do better than that so I'm going to try harder and I'm going to keep going back and I'm going to keep playing the game and you know I'm going to learn from my experience so that the next time I can double that score or I can you know get to the next level or whatever it is and so really it's just a it's just a motivational thing I such a part of like shoot 'em up culture too it's just weird not to have scores related to it yeah to me yeah personally, for for our, the intention of the shmup club it was score was meant to be a yardstick by which you can measure your own success totally and i'm totally fine too when i see somebody point post some scores that don't look great and then they're like i've given it a shot and i'm you know this is the best i can do and i don't like it <laughs> you know that's okay at least you're like okay well you tried it out right Right. I'm hoping to be able to encourage forum members and people that participate to post more than one score. You know, I I generally post an early score and then I'll typically every day that I get a chance to play the game, I'll post another score if I've managed to get a little further. Now, if I go three days and I play the game and I'm not playing well, then I won't post another score that is lower than what I've already got but I'll mention the fact that yeah I'm struggling here and I'm not making the points and so you know that can show that hey I'm I'm hosting this podcast and uh, you know I don't consider myself to be that good at shmups you know I've had a couple of people tell me on stream oh you're good at these games and and I think to myself eh, not so much you know I'm I'm average at best um, you know but but you know, we all we all have the ability to learn and adapt and <clears throat> and grow and and uh, you know try this stuff out and, and get better. And so it's just a I'm hoping that people will find encouragement in that and you know look at their own abilities and go, yeah, you know, maybe I should try again or maybe I can do better than this, and uh, just use that as a as a way to you know, motivate yourself. Well, maybe in the future, instead of just highlighting high scores, maybe you can give like a low scores, high five in the show too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that might be fun. We'll have to think about that, I guess. As long as those the, people don't the, take it to the extreme, it, you know. Is that is like the, the the participation trophy? Well, no. I think it sometimes it's just like thanks, thanks for trying it, right? Thanks for oh. getting in here. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Thanks for you know participating and for at least giving your effort. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for hopping in and and again, if you want people to post scores. Highlighting scores is going to convince more people to post them. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, definitely better over saving the tape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of scores, um, it would seem that our uh, distinguished guests here happen to have the highest scores during the month. <laughs> so on the NES version, Crabmaster 2000 got a Stunning 3,301,420 points. Choked right oh, at the no, end. Oh, no, really? You were at 12? Yeah, I, I was almost the Messiah oh. of Earth. Yeah, 12. I got killed by the sub-boss right before oh, the final man. boss. So close. 
have beaten the game before. I just didn't didn't. That's the boss is pretty tough too. The spinning things. He's annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then uh, Duke Togo on Zanek Neo uh, had a run with two million five hundred eighty-two thousand eight hundred seventy points. It's all about weapon number seven. And. and <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like maybe the scores are inflated in Neo over the original. Um, yeah, I mean, it has to be, because I think I got to, like, stage six or seven with that score, so it has to be a higher scoring game. Yeah. It's it's not meant to be a, a direct, just, like, improved graphics. It's, it's a reimagining, because you have three ships you can choose from instead of one, and the power-ups are... They act differently depending on what ship you choose. So yeah, it's it's a nice change up. Yeah, at the power of the PlayStation One, they've got that extra space, uh, extra memory for that bigger score. CD-ROM, huh. baby. CD-ROM technology. Roll over that last zero. We got the space. <laughs> uh. But not crazy. I mean, like, what, two and a half million? And so Krabby was about to beat the game, so he probably would have been somewhere around, like, four million or so. Right. So, you know, maybe doubled, maybe, somewhere around there. Huh. I'm okay. guessing, I, you know. Although I was playing on easy on Sanic Neo, so I'm going to guess probably if you ratcheted the difficulty up, you could probably go a lot higher. Oh, there you go. Well, uh, gentlemen, do we have any final thoughts on this game that you want to speak your piece before we uh, wrap up here? Xanax great and Krabby is better than I am. <laughs> I actually oh, to thank you for introducing me to this game years ago. I, I was looking for NES recommendations for challenging games. I was trying to get through some of the hardest games on the system or the ones that at least have reputations for that. And he told me to give this one a try and it was quite challenging, but it, it's really become one of my favorite shooters on the system. Like I would easily pick this over a lot of the, the other staple ones, like 1943 and Gradius. Like I'd way rather play Zanuck. It's no Dragon's Lair, but it's pretty tough. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, I wouldn't wish Dragon's Lair on NES on my worst enemy. <laughs> that game is misunderstood. <laughs> no, it's not. It, do not play it like a platformer. Play it like a Dragon's Lair game. You're, you're waiting for inputs uh, to react to things that are happening on screen. It's terrible. I'm not saying it's amazing, <laughs> but it's not as bad as it, as people think it is. Yeah, uh-huh. there was a there was a term I used before where I said hot garbage. I think that applies. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I will not be completing that one for the NES challenge this year. <laughs> I will defend that game to the death. I think you're the ones that are going to have to beat it to beat it. That's it. The only game I've played so far that I would give that heart garbage label to is maybe Athena. That one was oh, a mess. I tried, man. I tried. There was no way. <laughs> Nightmare. I think it's such a mess. We'll just let the SNK 40th Anniversary Collection take care of that one, right? That one's got automatic playthrough. <laughs> That's true. I, well, I'd be curious to see how the automatic playthrough works in certain parts of that game. Ah. Has that got arcade, Athena? Yes, got both, I think, on it. I've never both. played the arcade version. Doesn't look much better, I looked into it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're missing much. <laughs> it's a game that looks like it should have so much potential. And it's the sweet box art. Terrible! That box art is some of the best NES box art there is. 
Sorry, we've derailed the conversation again. That's all right. Addicted, any final thoughts on Xanak? <clears throat> Xanak was a game that I had heard of, and I actually own the Famicom Disk System only to have the, the, or the Famicom Disk version only to have my Famicom Disk break. But <clears throat> it's something that I've wanted to try for a while. I heard it was good mostly from a certain Duke Togo. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but now that I've had a chance to try Xanak Neo and original Xanak, it definitely has a place in there, and it's one of those titles that I'll revisit. It has enough, as I mentioned earlier, it's got enough variety to keep you going in there. But I, I think that I prefer the PlayStation 1 version of Zank Neo just a little bit more. It's I could see myself coming back to it, especially with the different variety of ships that are in there. Definitely something that is worth the time and investment and definitely worth the, I think, $8 on PSN if you still have a working PS3. Or PSP. There you go. Yeah, trying to find a working PSP, especially with those batteries, may be a little bit harder, but... Ugh. <laughs> Mine bloated out a long time ago. I was going to say, if you need help with that FDS fix, let me know. Sounds good, thank you. I, I've, re- I've repaired several. Alright, yeah, I'm, as soon as I can get to all the parts of the disc uh, back together again, I will oh. take a look at you. Oh no! <laughs> oh yes! It, uh, yes, it self-destructed in the worst way. But uh, I, I definitely like the game and highly recommend anyone just give it a shot. Know it's hard. Know it's going to kick your butt. But you're probably going to like it. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice, succinct way to end it. So, what do we have coming up next? Uh, for March this month... We have Crimson Clover World Ignition. Uh, that is on uh, PC via Steam and possibly other services. And it is our first Danmaku game, uh, or our first bullet hell shoot 'em up. And uh, this is a, this is an interesting one. It's a, a doujin or an indie title, and uh, came out in 2011, and then uh, was picked up for an arcade release in Japan and then hit Steam in the kind of World Ignition retooled version in 2014. And uh, I started streaming this game uh, today as uh, the day that we're recording this. And uh, I gotta say, I'm already really digging this game. Um, It's not quite as uh, a bullet hell as you would think of when you normally think of that kind of a game. It definitely has some of that kind of cave DNA to it, but there's some other interesting stuff going on with it that I think is pretty cool, so uh, I'm definitely definitely enjoying this so far. Uh, and then in April, we are going to be tackling Einhonda for the PlayStation. And I'm very excited about this because that is one of my favorite shoot 'em ups on the PlayStation. Uh, I've got my copy here in my hands, uh, and this is one that I bought back in, gosh, probably '99, uh, I think, or 2000, uh, not too long after I got my PlayStation. And uh, this is a fantastic game and one that I am excited to go back to because I never beat it. Um, I always kind of hit a wall in about stage five or six, I think. And so I, I really want to go back and I want to beat this game. So that is going to be my goal in April is to beat Einhander. 
If I can pull myself away from Sekiro a little bit in April, I will hop in on that one. Oh, very cool. Alrighty. Uh, anything else that uh, you guys want to say before we wrap up? Oh, thanks very much for taking the time to have us on. It's nice yeah. to get a chance to chat with you guys. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to try and do this again sometime. Um, so, let's do some shout-outs. Sure. I'd like to start out by saying a shout-out to Sir Flash of Studio Mudprints slash Bullet Heaven for the logo, which we happen to have some fancy new shirts. He was sporting a bright orange, and I know that you have a gray version. Is that correct? Uh, it's sort of like a light blue. Oh. Yeah, and that's that. That's the same one that Herbors has as well that he's worn on a couple of his uh, recent pickups videos. Um, but yeah, just uh, go to Redbubble.com and search for search for shoot the core cast or shoot the core, and it'll be one of the top results. And you can uh, pick up a podcast shirt and help support the podcast. Put it right next to your Guy Airy shirt. We go beautiful together. <laughs> that's, that's right. Thor Ackerland loves that game, right? Was that him that did that <laughs> shilling for it? No, it wasn't. Uh, that wasn't Thor Ackerland. That was. Uh, oh, I can't remember the guy's oh. name, but he was he was in like three ads for uh, for Gyrus. Yeah, I, you know they all have mullets. It always it all runs together. Oh yeah, it was it was the mullet. Ad. <laughs> like you want to call him his mullet man? <laughs> oh, we all had mullets. Admit it. <laughs> No. You didn't ever have a mullet? <laughs> I, to- I never totally had a did. mullet. I totally never lived. <laughs> Krabby just has the longest mullet around. All the way. <laughs> Business up front, party in the back. <laughs> party everywhere. Must be a Canadian thing. <laughs> you get cold if you don't have all that hair. The trends are, are slower to leave up here. Catch up eventually. So, the, so, so the mullet has uh, has uh, been a mainstay, then, huh? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we would also like to thank Kogasu for the intro and outro music, and of course RFGeneration.com and our fellow podcasters in the Playcast. Make sure you check them out and subscribe to their podcast as well. Uh, again, make sure that you are. Uh, signing up for the forums and help, come help participate in the NES challenge with us. Yeah. We would certainly like to um, like to have you come and and uh, beat a few games and, and uh, Nintendo with us. There's still like 400 some odd games to choose from. It's pretty good variety at this point. So jump in before all the good ones get taken. Yeah, That's like, right. You don't want to get price. stuck with Dragon's Lair. <laughs> Dragon's. It's not that bad. <laughs> 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 Oh, boy. Now you have to take Dragon's Lair. <laughs> I'd also like to mention that we have started streaming, or at least Mental Fro has started streaming a lot more. I'm still in the process of acquiring equipment. And you will be streaming Crimson Clover um, generally at uh, in the evening time? Or what? when can people catch you? Yeah, generally evenings. Uh, I try to stream mid-evening, mid-to-late-evening uh, after I get home from work and, and get myself something to eat and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, be watching for that. I I stream 
uh, most every weeknight. Um, generally not Fridays unless I can get an early stream in after work. Uh, and then weekends when I can. So yeah, I, I streamed today and uh, I'm hoping to stream again tomorrow, maybe late. And uh, we'll probably be streaming most, most evenings. So uh, if you want to come check out Crimson Clover throughout the month of March, definitely uh, check me out on YouTube or on Twitch. Um, on YouTube, I'm Game Boy Guru, and for some reason on Twitch, that username wasn't available, so I'm Guru Game Boy on Twitch. Uh, but come check me out either way, and uh, have a look at uh, the shooter that I'm playing, among other things. Sounds good. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much. See you next month. <laughs>